listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Captain America. Uh, you know what, Dingus, I might need your help on this. Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier? Or just Captain America, The Winter Soldier? Captain America, Winter Soldier? Help me out here, Dingus. What's the name of the movie? Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Oh, okay, that wasn't as It has done it. Yep. Captain America, right. The Winter Soldier. That makes it sound like it's him. Well, that's some confusion that I think a lot of us non-comic book types had going in. Uh, it was like, I thought it was going to be like he's getting get like a Hoth outfit with some fur lining and stuff like that. It was going to be like a white-themed thing. He does not become a Winter Soldier. That does not pink. happen. Oh. Also, I'm really mad about... Oh, you know what I should say? Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here, yeah. the Captain America The Winter Soldier podcast, with Christian Mulroski. Before we get started, does anybody want to get out? And with our Captain America The Winter Soldier tagline, Kelly Wand. I knew there's something fishy about Redford and Shanley. <laughs> Don't be mean, Kelly Wand. Wait, he, they can't get out, though. Why is he even asking him that? Because it's a joke. Uh, I'm really mad, by the way. Because <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> I'm so mad. So two weeks in a row, and I think I said on this podcast two weeks in a row i went to a movie and the whole time i'm sitting there waiting on somebody that i thought was in the movie to show up and it that person not only doesn't show up but was never even in the movie in the first place and i have no idea why i thought that so i went and saw sabotage last week (laughs) and i'm sitting there hating the movie as it's going on waiting for gina carano to show up because that's i'm like well at least gina carano's in this and then the movie's over and she's not in it um Michelle Yeoh is not in Captain America Winter Soldier. Why would you even think that? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, you're the one who said she was. Yeah, I I went on record on this podcast saying something about, hey, dingus, Michelle Yeoh is in Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, Wait, you were wrong, and you're mad at the movie for you being wrong. Good thing I blanked that out. (laughs) What are you talking about? Where did you get that? Um, Where did I get? I don't know. IMDb? Just make it up. No, I'm just hope she was. I saw it somewhere. I'm pre- I don't Kelly Wan, I can't be expected to source every bit of information in my head. I'm afraid I can't. Did you get it mixed up with Lucy Liu? She's not in it either. Ah, oh, boo! That's another ding against Captain America. Uh, Bay Ling is no Asian woman. <laughs> not even Bay Ling is in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Yeah, and she was the one of the three who had actually fit that plot. I think. Great. Story. So mad! I'm so mad. So at any rate, well. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was she supposed to be at it? I really do think at one point, and I don't know, is IMDb like Wikipedia where anybody can edit it and maybe a bunch of Michelle yeah. Yeoh fans went on there and and put in that she was in it? Because at one point, I think so. I was pretty sure I saw her name on the cast list. And so, I any rate, say you've looked since and went, wait, was I baked? And then she is. A, she no, no, I looked since. She's not on the cast list. She's not on the cast list. Okay, so your only test, <laughs> your only evidence is that you think you saw it. Uh, correct. Yes, I think that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, can you tell me what you saw in the Spider-Man Two trailer that was interesting to me? <laughs> I didn't see anything that was interesting. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, here's what I saw in the Spider-Man 2 trailer. Uh, Campbell Scott loves to end his sentences with a preposition. There's all this stuff about... 
we didn't about? know what the uh, Oscorp was capable of, and we must show the world. Like he, there are two in his little voiceover thing to Peter Parker. He has two lines in the trailer, both of which end in a, in a preposition. Tell me the line that Spider-Man says. Oh, you, Kelly Wan, wanted to say something about uh, – so there's apparently a lot of humor in the new Spider-Man movie. There's a joke where uh, Peter Parker shows up and he's got like – you know, he's got dirt on his face or something. And Aunt May is like, oh, Lordy, what happened to you? And he says, I was cleaning the chimney when really he wasn't. He was out fighting crime or whatever he does and he got dirty. And she says, we don't have a chimney. And he goes, huh. And then she loses interest instead of going, wait, liar, what the fuck's the dirt from then? Well, we don't know. In the movie, Kelly Wan, I'm sure there's a whole big scene there. I'm sure that Mark Webber, the director of Spider-Man 2. It's just Webb, but I like your... Oh, I know, sorry. Like, what am I doing it's with Mark all this wood? <laughs> now, that, so the Webber thing does cast a little doubt on your Michelle Yeoh thing. Like, you've already <laughs> fucked up one name on the tape. Steve Weber. And Steve Weber's. I thought Steve Weber was going to be in Spider Man. <laughs> Boo! Tom Chick gives this a zero. In your face, Halo. <laughs> that came out wrong, but I still don't understand that joke. It's this new. It's part of the trend I'm talking about, where jokes don't make sense anymore in movies. Um, the joke is that he was caught in a lie, and he's a bad liar, and it's whimsical and light and, and funny. See, but he wouldn't. Say, but no one thinks they have a chimney. And doesn't. Like, that's something you don't really... That's not a lie your mind would go to. But Kelly Wan, that's the joke, that it's outrageous. He's an idiot. But it's like if he's dumb, and she's senile, it works. But he's oh, supposed to be smart, and she's supposed to be wise. So it's two idiots. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in fear. I'm, I can't believe Michelle Yeoh's in that other movie. <laughs> well, we will be not finding out what that joke is when we that's don't tough. see Amazing Spider-Man 2 later this, mm-hmm. uh, this spring. Uh, yeah, you're not going to get any fight from me on that. Good, good. I'm a little worried even about X-Men, to be honest. Oh, I couldn't care less about that either. Dingus is uh, hard. I, I'll, I'll see that for Dingus, and I know Dingus is psyched about it. But oh, I'm so excited about Days of Future Past. Oh. Mm, I think I'm between. I guess I always am. All right, let's get back to serious business. But I, yeah. but I have a kid who's crazy about X-Men, and he can't wait for that to come out. Are you? Cr- oh, I can't wait for that movie. Hmm. It just, I don't know. When it was awesome, I don't know. Well, you guys didn't like you didn't like first class as much as I did. Kelly, Kelly Wand, I can watch watch me handle this. Kelly Wand, Dingus, remember how awesome that little teaser was at the end of the Wolverine movie when Ian McKellen and um, the other guy, what's it, Charles? Oh no, that guy, Patrick Stewart. Job, when Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart come out, remember how awesome that scene was, Dingus? I love their Twitter stuff. <laughs> If that's if that's where you got to go to, Ding, is to Twitter. Uh, I'm happy to. Oh, I get it. Magneto was fucking up the metal detector in the airport. Oh, right. See? Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Think about it. Only spinal tap. The ending Four. of that has nothing on the ending of this movie. Uh, so I saw I saw three movies today. Uh, I saw Captain America, which we'll talk about in a moment. I saw a Grand Budapest Hotel, which um, I, I don't think we really need to see for the podcast, but I do want to say. Uh, I was elated to discover that Wes Anderson, that fella can stage a fist fight. That's all I'm saying about, oh, you know the other thing about Grand Budapest Hotel? While I'm sitting there watching it, it made me want to go back and watch every single Ray Fiennes movie ever. 
all over again. He is so awesome. I just, good lord, that guy's fantastic. It just made me think, yeah, remember in Bruges? Oh, remember English Patient? Oh, I wonder, I should, I should just fast forward through the, the boring, the Liam Neeson parts of Schindler's List and just see those parts with, with Ray Fiennes again. Uh, he was great as the robot in Prometheus. Have you seen Coriolanus yet? No, which he directed. So ah, I get your ass to Mars, dude. I know. Come on. Yeah, but the writer of that's kind of not really. He's kind of weak. Again, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of track record. Yeah, it's certainly not very uh, up to date on current stuff. That all that whole Shakespeare stuff. Thing, thing is, Shakespeare doesn't make good movies. Mm. It's like he's like Stephen King in that regard. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, and then I went into. Uh, did you like the Wes Anderson movie? Or yeah, not? yeah, yeah. I liked it fine. You liked uh, it fine. But I, I really think it's it's uh, it's definitely one of his his weaker movies, and it's uh, it is driven by a sense of a lesser Wesser. So it's it's driven by a sense of, as you're watching it. It's driven by a sense of what, what are you doing? <laughs> That's kind of my reaction to most of the movie. Like what? What? Really, Wes? Okay, this is okay. What? Huh? All right. Was it more like a Wes Craven movie? Oh, good lord, no. Dueling Wes's? No. When's the, what's the last good Wes Craven movie? Has he done anything decent since the original Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, the third Elm Street's okay. It's got You're that. not going to be a scream apologist for us? Because I think those are Kevin uh, Yeah. See? He got lucky. Uh, they're, I don't know. The first one's all right, isn't it? I can't remember. Some did he do? Course, I don't know what you did. Oh, he did that one that I don't know what you did recently. No, they all they just kind of the same shit. I don't know what you did recently. <laughs> but they forget the ending of the last movie. He did Red Eye. Oh, good point. Dingus, Wait, Wes Craven did Dingus only knows that because Rachel McAdams is in it. That's exactly right. Uh, I do both those things. Uh, and then to top off my day, I went into uh, Need for Speed, and I lasted about oh my god, I lasted about twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home. I would rather go home than try my own car home. Need for Speed with Jesse Pinkman trying to be all tough and laconic and hard boiled and oh my god. Uh, Wait, keep going. <laughs> well, you know what's good in Need for Speed, Dingus? Uh, Dingus, what's the name of the guy who played uh, Remy in um, Short Term Twelve? What was that guy's name? Uh, what? Was his name Remy? What was the guy in Short Term Twelve? The fellow who's like the perspective of the audience. Um, he's he's the new guy on the ward, and Brie Larson is explaining stuff to him. I thought the character's name was Remy. I could be wrong. Um. Oh, oh, <laughs> Tom's never wrong about movie things. No, the, the character uh, is Ames. the actor's Remy Malik. Oh, oh, so that's the actor's name. So see, Kelly Wan, I actually was but thinking the, of his real name instead of the character's name. The character, I was only wrong this way. <laughs> it's uh, darn it. Nate, I think. Okay. Well, that guy, we, we spotted that guy. That actor's got this, like, great, goofy kind of, uh, like, when he smiles, he's got this great, smiley face to him. And uh, he's a very expressive-looking young fella. Uh, he's in <laughs> Need for Speed. Uh, and he they actually give him some cool stuff to do. I, I liked him in that. But oh, I, I forgot I that. Yeah, you showed, me the, you showed me the trailer so I could see him. That's right. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. And I was worried that he would just be swallowed up in just some sort of pointless... Hey, bros, let's race cars kind of BS stuff. But Is there a reason he has to go fast, or is the title total fucking bullshit? Uh, it's like a cannonball run thing. Like, they have to get... They have to, yeah. Well, you know, Chicago to California in 44 hours or something like that. You know? So, it's a race. Kelly Wan, in a race, you, you have to go fast if you want to do well. I don't know if you know that or not. It's like the Highway Patrol where the bad guys in Cannonball Run. 
and now everything's like Lone Survivor with the Highway Patrol. What? I would see that. I would see a Lone Survivor movie. You saw it. I thought. Yeah, but it's not, Lone Survivor's not about the Highway Patrol. It's about the Marines. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like now, like back in the day, it was smoke, weed, and drive too fast and crash into shit. Oh, I see. And now it's very pro-authoritarian. Yeah, now you shoot everybody. I see. I see. No, but imagine a, a Lone Survivor movie with the Highway Patrol. And the possibilities of that. I kind of like that, actually. They it's, talked about a Chips movie when I was a kid, and I was all, yeah, yeah, that'll happen. Uh, I uh, So speaking of movies that – wait, how can I do this segue? You know, I'm not even going to try. Forget the segue. Kelly Wand, <laughs> I watched Mega Shark versus Mecha Shark. Now, I don't know <laughs> if you can tell. I'm trying to enunciate carefully. I'm not saying Mega Shark versus Mega Shark. I'm not saying the same thing fighting itself. I'm saying Mega, meaning big, shark, versus Meaning what? Mecha, meaning <laughs> mechanical shark. shark. Uh, Ewan McKellen. And uh, Elizabeth Rome. Do you guys know who she is? Uh, no. Kelly, uh, no. I would think I, you would know who she is. Uh, I'd know her if I saw her in an elevator. Mm, I don't know if you would. Uh, <laughs> That's my stick for whether I know What would she say before we get started? Does anybody want to get out? Yeah, me. Uh, Debbie Gibson, you know who that is. She reprises her role from Mega She's Shark. On Tiffany. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Tiffany's in another one, another science. Well, yeah, there's one with Tiffany and Debbie Gibson, but no, in this one, Debbie Gibson, she's the shark scientist, and she explains like why the shark is doing what it's doing, and they put her in front of these like like one of these transparent boards, like like David Banner has in the Avengers. Where, like where, like a little screen where you can shoot through the screen and see like what she's looking at and still see her face. Uh, uh, and she's just gesticulating and showing all the stuff about where the shark is. It's just where the shark's swimming. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a map of the world. We're here. <laughs> the elevators are here. Uh, but that le- when you told me about apparently this, this urban legend, so uh, we play video games sometime on this the podcast. The transparent wall shark legend. Uh, there's been. there's apparently an actual megalodon in Battlefield 4, and oh, you yeah, can yeah. verify this. Blows up, I think. So it just blows up. It doesn't eat anyone? It's between A and B on something with Nanshu in the title, or the word peaks, or water, or ocean. All right. Uh, in Mega Shark versus Mecha Shark, the Mecha Shark... Um, like, like AI, an AI takes it over, and it, it uh, some treads pop out of it, and it rolls up on the shore. That's <laughs> the city. That sounds terrifying. Because before you were like, well, if I just stay out of the ocean, right. sharks are fucked. Right. Take that. But now they've they've evolved to treads. Wait, does the uh, Debbie Gibson know how the Mecha one works too? Um, the Mecha one was built to destroy the Mega one. Yeah, uh, and it it takes oh, place they- in Sydney. Australia, but they shot it in uh, clearly in Santa Monica. Like Santa Monica stands in for Sydney, Australia. Yeah, and they shot Battle LA in fucking Atlanta. Vancouver. Oh, Atlanta, yeah. You're always, see, you carry the weirdest axes in your arsenal. <laughs> I do? What are you talking about? It's a lot of production in Vancouver. You got it in for Vancouver, you got it in for Michelle Yeoh. I love Vancouver. I love Michelle Yeoh. You didn't like his story. <laughs> Kelly Wan, name one woman in the world who is more attractive than Michelle Yeoh. Uh, See, you can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody. It's impossible. Uh, I know. I know. I know. I, I'm sorry to have thrown that difficult a proposition your way. I apologize. Me too much time. Uh, let's talk about movies that Michelle Yeoh is not in. Oh, maybe seen this week. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, what's an example of a movie we saw this week that does not have Michelle Yeoh in the cast? 
Well, this week we saw Captain America colon The Winter Soldier. A 2014 American action adventure sci-fi Marvel comic superhero adventures franchise movie mm-hmm. about a guy who doesn't know what makes him happy and a bunch of people who have trust issues. Hmm. It uh. was directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and Joss Whedon and written what? by – what? What's wrong? Directed by – I knew there were two directors. There's not Joss Whedon. Well, uh, Joss Whedon did a post-credits scene. He's oh. credited as that. Okay. Which one? There's two. Well, uh, I was afraid of that. Dad it, I left early. Uh, was Michelle Yeoh in the final one? Yes, she. Oh, it's just her it. going. Hi, Tom. I just <laughs> want you to know. Call me. I knew that I should have stayed. Dead gummit. It's so long, too. You gotta wait, and you're like, fuck, fuck you, Marvel, and then it happens. All right. All right, so I missed the Joss Whedon part, apparently. Sorry. Huh. No, I think Joss Whedon directs the first post credit sequence. Um, and- I'm late for Deed for Speed. I can't stick around. I'm Tom Chick. <laughs> Sorry. And written by Christopher Mar- Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Hmm. Based on Ed Brubaker's concept and story and comic books by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. It stars Chris Evans, Kobe Smulders, Emily Van Camp, Haley Atwell, and Anthony Mackie. (laughs) There you go. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of violence. Gunplay. Oh, what? Wow. That's new. And action throughout. Mm, that's not new. Gunplay. Action throughout, you get a, uh, a harder rating. If it's throughout, you got to slow it down. Sorry. So we got some gunplay here. And, gunplay. Yeah, there's a lot of gunplay, and gunplay figures into the PG-13 rating. Okay. Uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, opened at number one, of course. That's no big surprise. Uh, what is the surprise? Jeez, it did well. Uh, biggest April opening of all time. Why is that a surprise? What are you talking about? I think it's a surprise because Danny Jr. is like he's the money with Iron Man, but this is like a stuffed shirt character more. Yeah, so I didn't know. Less. I mean, it, it, it's gotten more of a bump uh, if you look at like the the movies that existed before the Avengers, and then a sequel came out after the Avengers, it's got more of a bump than any of the other like the Thor movies. What's the other one? Uh, Iron Man. Uh, it, it's uh, so it did. It, it opened at ninety six million this weekend. Um, I was figuring. I was sort of guessing it would be like a healthy seventy seventy five. Um, <laughs> did very well on Metacritic. Uh, which is the average rating from various reviews. It is at. 70. Really? That's pretty yeah. low. Uh, well, for, well, but here we go. Kelly, on, wait for this. What was Thor at? On Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 89% positive. So it's like everybody likes it, but they just kind of like it. See? See? See how I did those numbers, Kelly? Wand? Everybody kind of. Uh, what was Thor at? I think that's probably about the same that Thor would be. Except I think we got to replace low. that, dude. I've decided it's worth. Sorry, go on. Wait, who are we replacing? I think we should change Thor's and like what? change everything. Eh. Who, who are you going to change Thor with? He's well, fine. obviously Dwayne Johnson, but I mean, besides uh, that, did you have? Uh, some- let me think. 
Paul Walker. There isn't that, and later in the podcast, if you have any good ideas for who... Paul Urban. Carl Urban. Yeah. Would be Thor. He's, yeah. He's already dread and bones. He's got... His, his well, T.J. Abrams gets to do everything. So why can't Carl Urban... Carl Urban do everything. That's a good point. <laughs> Take that. Logic. Well, Kelly Wand, if you were to give us a synopsis of the events of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, if you were to go ahead and spoil everything that's in it, including the fact that Michelle Yeoh does not make an appearance, what would you call such a synopsis? Any theories, Tom? The Captain Americopsis? Hmm, the Winter Soldiopsis? I don't know. Here's what I would call it, Kelly Wand the Captain America, the Winter Soldier synopsis. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why I'm not you, isn't it? Now listen. Yes. And guess any theories? You're better at this than this buffoon. No, no, I, I, I don't have any theories. I just Captain America. I'll just read it. <clears throat> Captain America: The Winter Soldiers. Soldiers? Captain America: The Winter Soldiers. Make it sound like solstice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very confusing, Kelly Wand. Well, it's like sold, but then the hyphen. I'll explain later. Okay. Captain America, still no promotion after 50 years of service, I can relate, <laughs> lives in New York but jogs in D.C. Since he won World War II while he was asleep, he jogs a lot. He has a black friend he taunts from time to time. Scarlett Johansson chauffeurs him in a sports car to his meetings with Nick Fury, who's Captain America's boss, even though he's just a sergeant. Isn't it Sergeant Fury? Um, I think you're thinking of Sergeant Rock. I think they're both sergeants. I think they should do a crossover. <laughs> Some terrorists capture an aircraft carrier of bureaucrats in a USB port. Iron Man's not in the movie, so they send Captain America and Scarlett Johansson and a bunch of Navy SEALs. Not an aircraft carrier. All right, nerd. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing I said that's idiotic to you, of all of that. Some terrorists capture an aircraft carrier of bureaucrats in a USB port. Not an aircraft carrier. Hello. Come Man's not in the movie, so they send Captain America and Scarlett Johansson and a bunch of Navy SEALs who don't talk to them. Scarlett Johansson tries to talk Captain America into fucking a CIA analyst in accounting named Margaret, but he's got this 130-year-old British chick in a nursing home. So he jumps out of the plane. The SEALs is all, was he wearing a parachute? The wise old second SEAL chuckles and goes, nah. The first one's all, so you know we're still like six hours from the boat? <laughs> <laughs> no. None of them are wearing parachutes, and neither is Scarlett Johansson, so I guess they just board the aircraft carrier by landing on it. Dengesi, they needed it to be an aircraft carrier. Sufficient. <laughs> no. None of them are wearing parachutes. Awesome. A falling dude wearing. A falling dude wearing flag colored camouflage, plummeting like a meteor and shrieking, On your left, USA! <laughs> Goes unnoticed by the terrorist guards. <laughs> uh, I remember, think of the other Captain America ones good too. Captain America gets aboard by swimming, then kills a bunch of terrorists by running past them and by throwing a shield at their necks, which breaks them so that they're unconscious and under arrest. One guy's a martial artist who talks perfect English. They kick each other a bunch of times till the terrorists is all. I think I'm a terrorist. I spread terror through kicking. And non-human shields are cheating. Captain America's all. Good point. 
and puts the shield down and tricks him by the terrorist suddenly being lame. Anyway, Captain America takes the shield back after the fight and uses it for the rest of the movie because shields only count as cheating against martial arts. I turn to the Orange County nine-year-old sitting next to me and go, see, that's why America's cool. It's like when Al-Qaeda was all, fuck you and your nukes, all we need is rubber knives. So we were all, oh yeah, and invaded Iraq with rubber knives. When you're older, you'll understand. Then I shushed him and went back to the movie. (laughs) I'm like the Captain America for the movie kids, Tom. Not so much dingus. Captain America succeeds in his mission of watching the SEAL shoot all the terrorists. And his bonus mission of getting mad at Scarlett Johansson for downloading something on a Bluetooth makes the ship blow up. Dingus, you have any uh, – that'll make sense to you? Well, <laughs> none of it does. Captain America flies almost back to New York, then jumps out of the plane into Hudson Bay and swims the rest of the way. <laughs> it's just his signature move. <laughs> That's why we're the best. That was me. Captain America swims up to Nick Fury's office and goes, you didn't tell me downloading shit was involved. I'm not comfortable with this. Back in World War II, we only had one mission at a time, and all the soldiers knew what all the spies were doing. It was a golden age. Nick Fury's all, this will put your mind at ease. (laughs) (laughs) It's the character. That's how he talks. If he was white, he would say exactly the same thing. Nick Fury takes him to a planet-sized basement where the office workers are all making 10 million helicarriers, even though the one in Avengers wasn't exactly reliable. I guess these ones don't turn invisible, and neither did the Avengers one, except for a couple seconds for no reason that one time. Nick Fury's all, by the way, we both work for Robert Redford. (laughs) Red Fox as Nick Fury. Captain America's all, cool, by the way, I had a sidekick named Bucky. He wasn't in the first movie, but we grew up together, and he was in all my missions. He didn't get the super soldier thing, but he's as powerful as me. I guess he died. There's a museum exhibit of him. Sometimes I go there and stare at it and hope kids don't see me. Scarlett Johansson screeches to a halt to pick up Captain America as his black friend jogs by. Cap gets in and goes, hey, black friend, where's Scarlett Johansson sitting right now? Falcon's all, on your left. (laughs) He raises his fist for a knuckle bump, but Scarlet burns rubber and peels out and barrels through traffic, honking and blowing shit up. Nick Fury tells Robert Redford that although they just spent $8 trillion tax dollars on helicarriers, he suddenly has doubts. He's all, how about this? I'll let the retinal scanner give you full authority to tell the helicarrier bullets what to shoot at, only in the event of my suspicious murder. Redford's all cool. A bunch of product placement involving Chevrolets happens. <laughs> Robert Redford, (laughs) I don't know. Transitions are hard. Specifically, Robert Redford forgets Nick Fury's SUV has chain guns in the door panel, so Nick Fury uses a glow stick he keeps in the glove compartment to melt a hole to the Earth's core, which is where Captain America's apartment is. (laughs) Take that, Tom Clancy and Dingus. I know what technology does. Cap comes home to find Nick Fury in his favorite chair. Nick Fury texts, cell phones compromised, and shows it to Cap. (laughs) (laughs) Cap's all, what's a cell phone? His hot blonde neighbor who does his laundry kicks the door in. She's all, Captain America, Nick Fury assigned me to protect you. Amber Heard's a bellhop here, by the way. She's a (laughs) sick Galactus. Fuck, I fucked up that joke. It's so good. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah, go ahead. Run it back. 
his hot blonde neighbor kicks the door in. She's all, Captain America, Nick Fury assigned me to protect you. Amber Heard's a bellhop here, by the way. She's assigned to protect Galactus. (laughs) She sees Fury, raises her watch, and says into it, XL69, repeat, there's a black man in Cap's apartment. She shoots him a few times. Fury's all, that's a normal watch. Cap's all, what's a bellhop? Then the neighbor is all, hey, you're not a double agent, are you? She shrugs. Scarlett Johansson shows up and drives Cap to an operating room window. They watch his doctors sew up all the bullet holes and put a sheet over his head and zip the body bag up. Then the head doctor comes out and goes, there was something we could have done, but we didn't. At least he's in a better place, the mortuary. Cafeteria here is pretty overrated. If you'd like to be alone with the corpse, it's going to be uh, 50 each. Insurance doesn't cover it. An orderly shows up with some Robocop parts, but the nurse tape measuring Nick Fury's junk shakes her head gravely. Scarlet takes Cap's hand and goes, the cafeteria sounds nice. Cap's all, by in God we trust, I won't rest until I've solved my first black friend's murder with the help of my new black friend. Detective work, how hard can it be? First things first, what's the cafeteria? He raises the hot blonde neighbor's wrist and goes, shit, I'm late for work. Out of the way, wounded. On your left, on your left, on your left, on your left. (laughs) The neighbor's all, I took my watch off. Cap goes up to Redford's office and goes, hey, your best friend Nick Fury got shot a bunch of times in my apartment. Somebody might want to call the cops. Redford's all, he didn't happen to mention my kill 20 million people with helicarriers by any chance, did he? Cap's all, I wasn't really listening, to be honest, but that sounds like something he'd say. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who knows. Luckily, whoever did this doesn't know my death would make him safe. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an elevator to take. Redford's all, you can jump out of a plane at 40,000 feet, but you need an elevator? Cap flips him off behind the shield. I turn to the nine-year-old go, not the acronym shield, huh? Instead of just blowing up the elevator with Cap in it, Redford gets 30 big dudes interspersed on 30 different floors to kill them with their muscles and a magnet in the hope that 30 well-known employees carrying Captain America's body across the ground floor lobby of S.H.I.E.L.D. will excite little notice. But instead, it's the elevator full of dead magnet wrestlers that doesn't excite. Redford gets a bullhorn and yells at his thermostat, Attention, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., shoot Captain America. I'll explain later. Cap gets on the wrong elevator and goes back up to the roof where a guy who looks and tastes just like his old sidekick, Bucky Johnston, chases him around till Cap's black friend shows up with some wings and drops him to Scarlett Johansson's Porsche. The black friend's all, by the way, I have wings now. It's away. Scarlett Johansson's all, hey, that Bluetooth from the aircraft carrier works on a computer with a Nazi in it. She looks at him. Capsule. I know what all those things are. They get to Redford's basement. Scarlet types stuff. Then she playfully goes, Oh, hey, Scott Bayo, use telekinesis on Heather Thomas's boobs. <laughs> That's from a movie, by the way. Capsule. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> the computer's all, Hello, white man. I am saying many things to you. Things are happening plot wise. Here comes missile. Please do not use tunnel and floor to escape. Soon it will start to be almost too late to see. Kelly Ron, that is an amazing Toby Jones. Not at all. <laughs> That's how they talk. It's the greatest generation. You sound like Capote. Captain America and Scott Johansson trick the missile by surviving. Redford makes a speech to his British and Mexican friends about his plan to save 
to save 200 million people by killing only 20 million. I poke the Orange County nine-year-old and go, that speech is a metaphor for Watchmen, by the way. After Redford's speech, he goes, but I actually work for Hydras. Forget everything I just said. I poke the nine-year-old again and go, I've already forgotten everything that character said. Captain America uses a microphone that Scarlett Johansson's hacked into yelling at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, hey, when our boss told you all I was evil, he was the one who was evil. I'll explain later. Also, destroy the helicarriers. The chick from Logan's runs all, Mr. Redford, is that true? Will he explain later? <laughs> Redford's all, look, do as I say, or I'll use my joy buzzer name tag. <laughs> One of the other rich people's all, wait, so you brainwashed Bucky 60 years ago and put him in suspended animation? Why didn't you just use him to fuck with Captain America's head before this? And why do you keep hitting that remote? Oh, it's for the joy buzzers. Uh, yeah, I'm not really feeling anything. <laughs> okay, there, my nipple hair did feel a little warm there for a sec. Could be unrelated. Meanwhile, up on a helicarrier, Captain America breaks Bucky's leg and goes, okay, now I won't fight you. He's all, hey, your metal hand is the one on your left. <laughs> the helicarrier's all, warning, warning, helicarrier blowing up. The nine-year-old nudges me and goes, seems to be what they're best at. Captain America waits for the music to swell, then triumphantly puts the Bluetooth in the MacGuffin. Robert Redford explodes. Fuck! <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Well, we know, by the way, he didn't say that, because it's a rated PG-13 movie, Kelly Wand. I pretend it was the same character. The helicarrier is all, because that's what he was apologizing for. That was, that was rated PG-13, too. Was it? Well, you could say it once. Right. Which is even dumber, if you think about it. The helicarrier is all, Captain America successful, repeat, Captain America successful, Captain America offers Bucky his hand. We did it, old friend. Now who's up for 60 more years of ice? Bucky punches and drowns him, then changes his mind and sets Cap in some poison ivy, then heads off to find a place where a man with the metal hand fits in, like a museum. Cap walks to a graveyard to see Nick Fury's tombstone. Nick Fury's all, well, it looks like we foiled Hydra's plan of shooting 20 million people. Kind of sucks we lost 80 million from the helicarriers crashing. USA, huh, Steve? Scarlett Johansson pulls up in a hearse and honks irritably. Captain America puts on some sunglasses and gets in. <laughs> Sorry, let me try that again. Captain America puts on some sunglasses and gets in. He's all, the name's America. Scarlett Johansson burns rubber again and they drive off. She's all, by the way, when you kissed earlier on an escalator to trick assassins into not shooting us, uh, you're supposed to use your mouth. He's all, back in 1945, we weren't always the greatest generation about that stuff. Here, let me try again. She's all, oh, oh, yeah, right, right there. Maybe to your left a little? Your other left. After some credits, a Nazi's all, ah, good, most of the audience has left. <laughs> I'm a different Nazi from before. <laughs> and not in a computer. It is what Captain America will have to think about in the third movie. Points to a room with some twins. The guy's power is that he blinks super fast. And in the other one, a girl's looking at some CG. The Nazi's head comes back, and he's all, Also, this! He points to some purple plastic on a muffin tray. He's all, Huh? The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Ugh. 
Uh, that wasn't the end because I didn't stay for the final one. What, what did I, I miss I, in the very, very last scene? Bucky goes to the museum and sees it, and then you hear his head going insane with the uh, Terminator music noise that he hears in his head. What? Oh, so it's just Bucky's alive and he's still obsessed with Captain America. Yeah, it wasn't as exciting as the other. No, he's looking. He's reading his own biography at the Smithsonian. It's not that he's obsessed with Captain America. He's finding out about himself. Oh, that's, that, that's the point of the very ending. Is that is that Bucky is going? Is the Winter Soldier is going to become something else? And he's finding out who he is. He's going to read his own biography. But you hear the um, the weird music or the crazy sounds in his head, so it's like there's still a war going on within him. Right? Well, of course, he's been erased a number of times, but you know he's being rebuilt, and right. so this is part of that. He's gone he's to the pretty good if he can find his way to the Smithsonian and then get into it. Yeah, he's just looking for a it. fossil. Right. They're like, oh wait, metal hand. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> J.K. Tom. Go. Uh, Man, I, uh, I was so bored of this thing. Oh, I liked it. You're crazy. No, I really didn't like it at all. What? I love the action in it. No, I didn't like the action. I didn't care for what Chris Evans was doing. I didn't like this plot. Uh, none of the act- the special effects sequences are just completely bounced off of me. Uh, Get it? I, I, was, <laughs> I was definitely just not into this at all. Uh, Can you, but in layman's terms, what did you like best? <laughs> what did I like best? You, you like Chris Evans in this? He's great. I was no, really not good. really. And, and I, just I didn't even like the first one. You what? I did like the first one. You did. Now yes, I like. I was one. into the first one, and um, I this one didn't. I I just thought it was kind of overlong, and it was a mess in terms of like who's doing what to whom, and what's this plot about, and why does Captain America figure into it? And also, I blame Dingus for this. I was sitting there thinking, well. This, the stakes do seem high enough that you would think Tony Stark could get involved in this. True. Uh, uh, it is actually – well, when Diggis mentioned that, it was after Wolverine. You can go, well, look, it was like really fast and he was in Japan for most of it. But in this, it's like New York and Washington, like a lot of times going by. Thor. And I'm actually just kind of being facetious. I can accept these these people compartmentalizing – there's a word for you – uh, their own stories. Um but Iron Man gave up, and he gave got back the suit too. It was mainly just kind of out of just not being into it and being a little bored and not not understanding. Oh, Anthony Mackie is that a superhero? What's going on there? Oh, that I was okay. thinking, well, why why don't we get Iron Man in here? Um, hmm. So yeah, it didn't work for me at all. Kelly Wan, you liked it. Dingus, yeah. you're the tiebreaker. I loved it so much. Hey. Uh, you guys talk about how much you loved it. I'm going to go make a sandwich. Okay, go ahead. I, I cannot tell you how much I love this movie. Yes, you can. It's totally okay. You can tell us. Oh, I can tell you? All right. Um, I got so schooled the last couple of times I have I have complained about that where is everybody else thing. That, you know, other, that comic book nerds kind of come in and say, you're being a child. Shut up. <laughs> uh, that's the way comic book books work they get their own isolated stories doesn't matter that the entire world is in danger iron man and hulk aren't going to show up nobody else is going to show up just shut up um and i've just gotten beaten down the last couple of times i've mentioned that and i think it finally worked in this and you know because you know the three helicarriers whatever they're called are just whatever they're called battling in the air and it's like look at dingus pretending he doesn't know what a helicarrier is called uh they're gonna destroy the world (laughs) you're you're saving the world and iron man can't be bothered to show up and i i realized that 
Uh, that's just not what this is. I just have to shut that off. Iron Man is over in another universe doing something else. He no, quit explain. No, no. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's doing a birthday party for Robert Redford's niece. That's right, yeah. And right. it's not just a flyby either. He has to go in there and make right. it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, so, so I, I realized that that's just not the way these universes work and I just have to accept that. Uh, but even uh, beyond that, but I mean, that did bother me from time to time. I just don't understand why in a post Avengers assemble world, why nobody's helping anybody out. Um, I love this. I, I absolutely loved it. I think there are some problems with what, with the, with the, the, the Spider-Man two syndrome of, uh, of Captain America having doubts. I think this particular character earns it in a way that Spider-Man 2 doesn't, uh, even though I like that movie a lot. Um, I think Chris, Chris Evans has some problems with some of the acting, and especially in that old Peggy scene. Uh, but uh, I overall, man, I'm crazy about this movie. I, I had a great time. Plus, I, I got to see it with my son, who, by the way, when Anthony Mackie shows up and the wings come out, he leans over to me and goes, "Oh, that's Falcon! I told you about Falcon." So, so <laughs> yeah, I've, that's got, I've got a little children. kid. I've got a nine-year-old next to me who's like, "Oh, that's Falcon!" That's, I mean, he's just so excited about Tom these characters. Tom did um, Oh, I, I'm I'm nuts about it. And I thought I thought it was beautifully directed. I don't understand how these dudes got to direct it based on the other stuff they've done. I have no idea how this. What's happened. their background? Uh, I think they did. Oh, jeez. They did uh, that one TV show that Jason Bateman did that you really liked, Tom. What was that again? Arrested Development? Oh, yeah. They they got an Emmy for Arrested Development. What? And, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I think they, I think they were writers on that. And, and other than that, they di- they've directed like You, Me, and Dupree and Colin Wood and oh, some other right, right. sitcom. Yeah, um, like little indie comedy things. That's their background. Right. So they, they've done little indie comedies. They've done some writing for sitcoms. Uh, they've won some awards. And how they got to direct something of this scale is beyond me. Uh-huh. But I love the action in this and the fighting. Uh-huh. I love the fighting in it, too. I think it's freaking great. I don't, I don't understand how you could be bored. Uh, let's see. How I could be bored is I, I think there's a lot of – there's a kind of a simplicity in the original Captain America, and I don't I, – I, I did like that one a lot. I don't claim to know much about who Captain America is. Uh, I enjoy it. So even though that I guess it's partly an origin story thing, I, I liked this idea of an, of an earnest um, guy becoming a superhero. Like I, that worked for me in the first movie. Here, I, I think you could plug in any generic superhero here. Uh the, all the contrived stuff about bringing Bucky back, about, you know, he, this could have been just Scarlett Johansson's movie, for instance. There was nothing to me unique to the Captain America concept or experience from the first movie in this movie here. Like, for instance, I, I think too of Iron Man 3. Like, that, that's kind of the standard that I'm holding this against. Iron Man 3 as a post-Avengers Avenger movie, where it's very specifically about Tony Stark and how the events of that movie changed him and affected him. Uh, and he, there's a clear line from Iron Man 1 and 2, which I didn't really care for, up through the Avengers into Iron Man 3. Uh, here, I really do feel like there's nothing unique to Captain America in this. You could plug in Jack Ryan into this movie. Uh, and so that was one problem I had with it. Um, as for like who the villain is, I didn't... Uh, what? I mean, the, there's a guy in a suit, Robert Redford... Um, and all the stuff about Bucky, like when they showed Bucky's face, 
I had no idea who that was. I was I was kind of enjoying the the who is this guy mystery of this this crazy guy showing up for some of these scenes and he's got a mask on his face and who is that dude whatever uh, like this is a mystery and then when the mask comes off I still was like wait who is that guy and they then had to explain for guys like me oh yeah that's his friend Bucky and even then I was like what who who cares big deal what why I don't uh, oh my son no, went they grew up together as yeah soon as mask came off my son went it's Bucky. I mean, it was so exciting for him. He was so excited. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I agree with Kieran. Did Kieran know who Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were? At the oh end? yeah, yeah. As soon as as soon as that happened, as soon as the twins were there, he's like, "That's Quicksilver." That's Scarlet. Tom's on the outside of this world. I think. Oh, I am too, but I mean, mm, but I, I didn't. Kieran is a sage to like show you the way through well, the woods. Well, the, the thing I like, and and the thing I appreciate about what Tom said about Iron Man three is that I think that given Stony Car- uh, Stony Kark. God, Lord. Tony Stark's character, his PSTD is Sony. going to <laughs> manifest in the way it manifests in 9 and 3. And, mm-hmm. and PSTD is, uh, or PTSD, sorry, is going to manifest for somebody like Captain America in this way. I mean, I, I totally understand the way Tony Stark relax, re- reacts to the, the post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and I love the way that that, that movie handles it. In all, in all ways, and, you know, humor and, and trauma. And the way that Captain America is going to deal with that stress is in a different way because he's a different kind of soldier. In fact, he thinks of himself as a soldier. And so he's going, it's going to be through a different prism and that's going to have to be through doubt and, do I even want to do this anymore? But in a different way than Tony Stark does. So I kind of accept that, uh, in that post Avengers New York world, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but I I can accept it because I think that the character is so different, and it's so weird for me because I didn't like the first uh, Captain America movie at all. I didn't understand. Why I didn't either. That until I saw the Avengers. I mean, you guys were, Ugh. especially Tom, was way ahead of the curve as far as I was concerned with the first Captain. America movie. He totally got it. And I was just like, why do we have to have this pre-Cold War movie? I don't get it. And then the Avengers happened, and I was like, oh, yeah, Tom was right. I get it now. Um, and and now I sort of like, now it sort of stacks up. And I'm, I'm seeing these movies, these these Marvel Avengers movies especially, as, as sort of one big, wonderful um thought exercise or one big wonderful idea that really has all these great links together and that's why I like this movie so much uh, Kelly Wand get in there what, so you, you also liked it what, what other things worked for you um, I thought Chris Evans was really ingratiating I think he's a, he's a really difficult character to play um like I said before, I guess, but I'm, I was really surprised by the action. I thought all the action scenes were really good. Mm-hmm. They were all sort of distinctive, and they all, I always got a sense of where everybody was, what was going on. Um, everyone had a, their own little way of fighting. Uh, it's, How about that first attack on that ship? That whole solid snake yeah. jumping on the ship and like just cleaning out the ship in this... Quiet. I love those fights. I love the way they, these fights were staged and how Captain America would... I don't know what he valued his time like worth <laughs> hanging out with the martial arts guy for a few minutes uh, to beat him fair and square. See, because America's kind of dumb. 
that's, <laughs> that's sort of why I think I liked the character. <laughs> but I did, it's like way better than I think. Maybe because I'm coming off Thor too. Maybe my bar is a little low. But um, I'm really surprised Tom wasn't into the action scenes, especially when he liked RoboCops, which he called me crazy for thinking. Well, let me similar. Then were you guys even okay with that weird? So suddenly we've got Sam Jackson in a car chase with a magic car. Yeah, uh, I was <laughs> like, wait a minute. Awesome. What is what your car can fly, but it's not working, and it's got a gun in it. Why aren't you using the gun now? Why didn't you do the gun first? Uh, it, why is everything voice activated? Why this movie is full of, st- of stupid talking computers that you talk to and they talk to you? Even cars, you, with you talk to cars. Even elevators are voice activated. Um, but you guys were okay with that Sam Jackson chase because I hated that, and that's where I started to think, wait a minute, is this the kind of action stuff we're going to get here? Um, well, I thought. It, well, I liked it because I thought it was going to be oh the the assassination and death of the Nick Fury character, right? Uh, and instead, it's this. It, it just kept going too. I like action sequences where they kind of like keep burgeoning upwards, like a mushroom cloud. And it's like this one just kept going for like five, ten minutes, like one car versus forty. I didn't see it coming. I didn't go. This is movie's going to have Nick Sam Jackson in a ten minute long car chase with a bunch of shit blowing up, and all the cops were in on it. That's good. Oh, Kevin, no. God, those were fake those, cops. Those were not cops. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there are no cops deployed at that. I mean, I do think Kelly Wan like SWAT team was real. No. Oh. Yeah, I th- I th- yeah, I don't think so. Um, the computer I mean, but, very, very clearly says there's no DC cops deployed to this area. And, and you got a lot of uh, your Scarlett Johansson you like, Tom. You should like it. Again, and I didn't, what was she doing in this movie? Shouldn't she be – I thought she was Hawkeye's boy, girlfriend. Yeah, where was he actually is a bigger question because he works for S.H.I.E.L.D. That's the thing is they're all S.H.I.E.L.D. Iron Man, when in the comic books, I always sort of justified it as like, well, all the shit's happening at the same time. And then the character would sometimes reference like, oh, yeah, X-Men are on the moon still, so we're on this one. <laughs> uh, Dingus, you you conspicuously omitted Scarlett Johansson's name from the cast. Did you uh, – I know she annoyed you in Don John. Did you not like her in this? Did you omit her for a reason? She was fine. I, I, I tend not – I mean, there are a few isolated instances where I like her. I just don't think she's that good. Uh, I loved her in The Avengers. Um, I didn't like her in uh, – I don't know. Whatever. I, I Maybe Iron Man 2 soured me on her. Eh, um, it's not her fault. It's not well, her fault, but she those, runs around and she does a bunch of tripod landings and, and kicks That's out. Iron Man 2, though. Yeah, and I understand she's that. And she's fine. I just don't believe her a lot of the times. I don't believe her hair. And I just don't believe her. She's supposed to be a Russian agent, and she never has tried to really convince. I like the character. I just don't believe Scarlett Johansson. Uh, my problem here, and I didn't have this problem in the Avengers because I thought her and Jeremy Renner did a great little thing in their few scenes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't feel she ever connected with Chris Evans here. And I, I sort of was he's pining turning, for, for Haley Atwell again. He's rebuffing her. Well, he's also yeah, like is, is Captain America gay? By the way, because when he, he uh, it's French, he's Russian. That's my theory. No, because he hits on the neighbor. Well, he I liked the, yeah, I liked Emily Van Camp better than I liked. Uh, yeah, well, I like her because of a. Do you know what we know her from, Dingus? Oh yeah, and then, and then that's kind of why I like her so much. I was like, oh wow, what's she doing here? And then she's Agent Thirteen, so I was very excited to see her. Tell the listeners what. We're I'm sorry, it's from a movie called Carriers. 
with uh, Chris Pine and Lou Taylor Pucci in, uh, in Piper Pervo. Uh, so yeah, I, I liked seeing her and I did like her role. Um, but there's a lot of Scarlett Johansson in this movie and I wasn't clear really why because she didn't seem to be connecting with Chris Evans that well and, uh, no, it was, there was force, but I think, I think that that works. I think that the forced nature of like them kissing and having to pretend to be boyfriend, girlfriend and having to pre- sort of like, we're trying to play at chemistry here, but it's not really working and I'm going to hook you up with somebody else thing. I think that, yeah. I, I think, think that's that in the script. Works, but I just don't, I don't know. I know that this kind of brings things into question, but I just don't, I'm not crazy about her. I'm just not crazy about well, Scott Johansson. Let me then give another example. How did you guys feel about our, our villain guy? So there's we had two Redford. villains. We had Robert Redford, who I, I like Rob, watching Robert Redford. And I loved at one point where he's talking about boats. And he says, I just care about one boat. Or wait. No, he says, I don't care about one boat. I care about the fleet. And I remember thinking, well, in that All is Lost movie, you did care about that one boat. And I enjoyed <laughs> you doing that. And so I'm glad we're having this moment again, Robert Redford. Uh, so I enjoyed seeing him. He was cool. Um, but then I, the 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 fellow playing Bucky, I was like, no, give that to a really good actor who can really carry that. Whoever this guy is, uh, it's not working for me. It's uh, just Bucky. I don't know, but I wanted a villain. Like, I didn't, I didn't, Robert Redford uh, can't be the, the sole villain. And this guy with the, the arm who wore a mask when it came off, I had no idea who that was. Like, I didn't feel like I got much of a villain, just like I didn't get much of a female character. Um, well, the third one, you get Baron Von Strucker, so. I don't know what that is. He's that Nazi guy at the end in the Easter egg. I don't know what that is. I actually would have preferred the Winter Soldier to turn out to be Peggy. Who's Peggy? Helly Atwell. Oh, oh, oh. I would have <laughs> well, liked then that. I would have understood. Um, uh, but I, I like the Bucky thing because... Uh, yeah, Bucky. Bro. And I think that actor does a fine job. <sighs> okay. What's wrong with... I mean, it's Sebastian Stan. He does a fine job being Bucky Barnes. And and it's it's such a great little surprised that that's who it is that I, I just think it's going to be some faceless Russian assassin that's been running around and has been supercharged well, by uh, Toby Jones uh, and then it turns out to be Bucky was a total surprise well to of me. course it's a surprise we saw him fall down a crevice <laughs> I mean that's a cheat it's not just a surprise it's a cheat I'm like is oh my god that is a comic uh, book crevices yeah he really dies crevice but, means I'll see you in the third act <laughs> really, is that, I guess if you don't see the body hit and well, you don't recover a corpse. So. Check out Cliff. What's yeah. wonderful for me is that that I watched um, Captain America, the, the first movie, before going to see this. And there's that, that moment before uh, Bucky is saved where he's on the table being experimented on. And I'm like, why are all the other uh, howling Commandos. screamers? What, what are they called? Commandos, I think. Howling... Commandos, yeah. Why are they all in? Ah, Tom remembered. Why are they all in the? What's howling? And why is Bucky just on this table over here? Uh, what What's being done to him? I never, I never, I didn't understand what that was. And and seeing that moment, and then seeing this movie, I'm like, oh, he was being experimented on, and this is a direct result of that. Um, so it was kind of fun to see the first movie and then go see this and then go oh that's and then be surprised by bucky when his mask comes off it it, you know it kind of helped to have seen his face right right before that and then the mask coming off as a reveal but i understand what you're saying tom is he's not a recognizable face there's not there's no sort of like for anybody well and why is it him does redford know it's bucky i guess i was no it's it's what toby jones has done i mean it's what dr yeah 
But something? I don't know. Come on, Bucky, Tom. Get on board the Bucky machine. Why did uh, – and again, maybe it's just me being bored and looking at news crawls and stuff. But I don't understand why did Robert Redford have to shoot his housekeeper? Because she saw him with uh, – saw him with it talking to a dude? With a metal hand. That's like a, <laughs> she saw him with the Winter Soldier, and that guy cannot be seen. I caramba. Whatever. I'm like, well, just tell her not to tell anyone. Unless you have to find out. That's where you're supposed to go. Oh my God, Redford's the villain. Oh my God, he's the yeah, first I guess so. star. Oh, it's like just going to tweet that shit out, and it's going to trend. What? And what? How did you guys feel then about the overall plot? Like, we're going to take these uh, helicarriers, and we're going <laughs> to. Wait, this makes sense. This makes less sense to you than the drones in RoboCop, which shows CG marching around Iraq, and you're like, "See, it's it's like it is, man. That's exactly what's happening right now." Dude. Wait a minute, what? Well, they can rip society, but then in Captain America, it's just the same old. Oh, it's a metaphor for drones. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, these, no, these movies are about freedom and trust. Oh, I mean. Work. No, but they, and this, the plot is they're going to take off the helicarriers and they're going to use them to pinpoint shoot 20 million people in the DC area to no, snipe, to snipe from a turret. With the carriers. And then they're going to, okay, now obviously we need to make more of them because. They're, they're doing that based on these people's, like, surveilling their email and their cell phone records and the, the, the quantum surge in threat analysis. Like, all of that. They come up with a list of 20 million people that they're going to shoot in D.C., including yeah. the president, by the way, and that that is going to – Yeah, the president's just one at 20 million arbitrarily. I think that's worldwide. Yeah, it's worldwide, Tom. Wait, they're going to shoot from that – No, they're going to work – they're going to move all over the world and, and eliminate these threats. Oh, I see what you're saying. The it's 20 the million arbitrarily. They're just getting warmed up in D.C. I see, right. Real estate. Still, so all of those little crosshair dots, like those helicopters are just going to fly around and pick people off like that. That's the plot. That's that's what. That's what they do. It's based on a future it's algorithm. Sense. It's based yeah. on what they are it's going to do. <laughs> I I I didn't. They just said algorithm rebuttal. They said algorithm a lot. Okay, here's yeah. another, here's another problem I had. That was the stupidest USB prop I have ever seen. They like glued a logo no, no, on it, they made no. it extra big. Uh, they put these little right angle things on it. USB, those little data sticks, they're tiny. And they, they had some oversized thing that looked like a prop for a stage production of, of Captain America or something. <laughs> well, with her, it serves more than one purpose. <laughs> it has to fit into saying. a vending machine, too. Yeah. It's, right, it has to look like a... a yeah. And, and boy, Captain America's real Kelly. smart hiding that there. That was great. He hit it instantly. Because <laughs> he's a genius. Uh, he's like a thief, and he's like a spy, and he's like a detective, but he's a captain. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, good point. Kelly thinks it's just... Bluetooth, by the way. Uh, I can't speak to the color, only the shape. It was a Bluetooth USB, Kelly wand. Right. All right, nerd. Uh, I do kind of enjoy, even though it was ham-handed, I, I do enjoy seeing uh, the Bush Doctrine portrayed as uh, the villain in a movie. Like, we, what was the uh, the Mission Impossible with Philip Seymour Hoffman, the neoconservatives, uh Billy Crudup was one of them, were, were the villains in that, and I kind of like that. Uh, and here, this idea that they're going to neutralize threats before they happen. <laughs> it's kind of, I'm like, hey. It's like Time Cop. It's not, it's not, it's not like, it, it, that it's, is the it's Bush Doctrine. milk. No, it's not no. photon. It's, that is the Bush Doctrine, this idea that you have to stop a threat before it even becomes a threat. Like, that was that was a central tenet of the Bush administration. No, but and it I love is photon milk because they're protecting the future. That's the algorithm. 
Oh, the whole uh, uh, minority report, right. I forgot that that was from Minority Report, right. This idea that to, to pre-prevent crime, exactly. Right. Prevent. Ah, see, that's what that means, Kelly Wong. <sighs> Tom just doesn't get it. Uh, I, w- I wish that we were not taking acting jobs from old people by putting old people makeup on Haley Atwell. There are plenty of old people that could use the work and that could have played the part of... Like Guy Pierce and Prometheus? Hey, thank you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Oh, stop taking jobs from old people. Uh, I see. Well, no, she had to be the same chick in the other one. They had to make her look hot at her normal age for the first Caps America. There are plenty of... Hot older ladies? Exactly. Michelle Yeoh, for instance. Hmm. Wait, so you thought that was going to be Michelle Yeoh? <laughs> I don't know. Like his, but it's like it's like taking it's like uh, when you take away jobs from schlubby people, like by having Christian Bale in American Hustle. Stop, you know, good-looking actors. Stop taking away work as from, from schlubby character actors. Young actresses, stop taking away work f- from elderly women. There. It is weird though. That, yeah, it's like there finally is a role for an older woman, and then look. They just I, get a hot chick and put makeup on her. There's like, no reason for that scene, by the way. There's no reason for probably about dead. about 60% of the scenes in this movie. No, that is what I, I don't agree with that. I just think that there's no reason for that scene. There's a ton of other ways to have a, to, to deal with that scene since half of the reason he stays there is because she started S.H.I.E.L.D. Or she helped start S.H.I.E.L.D. What? what? How do we know this? Wait a minute. Did you just make this up, Dingus? I think it's in no, the first movie a, when I was listening. It's a line he says to her. He says, like, you know, the, oh. you know, the reason I'm staying with S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, half of the reason I'm staying with S.H.I.E.L.D. is that you helped start it. Oh, and okay. Then, uh, I mean, if, if that's the case, then you might as well have, like, a downloaded version of her or uh, – and there's a ton of other things. That whole, like, he goes to visit this coughing old lady thing is, is just unnecessary. I liked it because he's like, ah, you know, what are you going to do? It was just a painful scene because he's just trying so hard to act it, and he's he's fine. And Chris Chris Evans is a good actor. He's just having a hard time in that scene because I, I think it's poorly, I think it's a poorly put together scene. How about those Gary Shanley scenes? Oh, uh, he's so not speaking painful. of old people makeup. Holy uh, why is he? <laughs> I feel off. So here's another that. thing. So now, oh, so he's not the. Uh, inane senator, like he's, he's just an ineffectual senator from the Iron Man movies. Now he's like Hail Hydra guy. He's whispering stuff in public to other men, in other men's ears. Right. Wait. Uh, uh, yeah. So Shield, by the way, do they have to stop the TV series now? Because Shield is evil, right? Uh, no. This is why you don't see Captain America on the TV series because he's quit or something. Is that girl in it? That play Van Camp. I don't think so. I don't think anyone famous in the TV show except Clark Gregg, the writer of What Lies Beneath. Short character gets kind of short shrift, <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah, Clark Gregg would have shown up, you'd think, for the Civil War of S.H.I.E.L.D. I did. Here's one of my favorite things. Seen, uh, oh, dadgummit, Callan Mulvey, the, the fellow from 300 who played Jack O'Connell's dad. I love seeing him show up. And Frank Grillo. Um, yeah, Frank Grillo. Of course, they become bad guys. I, I hated that. But uh, I love seeing those two guys show up. They become really unmotivated, like completely baffling motivation because they've been with them on a million missions. And well, that's like, exactly that's why I say like so many things just made no sense or were unnecessary. I mean, we we need these guys to become the bad guys. There's even a, a bit. Maybe this is just me again. I'm bored of the movie. So the helicarriers are blowing up, and then two of them crash. And oh, they don't land on people. That's fine. They're landing back on their their little landing berth, so everybody's okay. 
and then Captain America's doing some stuff and something gets resolved. And it's almost like the movie forgot. Oh, by the way, Anthony Mackie yeah. and Frank Grillo are still fighting. Well, let's, let's go go back to them. Cut back. It's, it's sort of like, hey, remember these guys? And I just felt like, oh, you guys forgot that you had a fight. It wasn't resolved yet. And now we have to pick up with them punching each other again. Uh yeah. It really did. So, Dingus, and I know I, I know you guys like this. I'm sorry to say this, but Dingus, it now makes a lot of sense that you explained to me that this movie was directed by two guys who do quirky indie romantic com- or indie comedies, <laughs> like Mark I, Webb. Okay, that explains it. Um, no, but they did Arrested Development. Dingus opened with so again, Arrested Development, great comedy, and uh, I liked I, uh, I liked Welcome to Collingwood pretty well. Those things were great, but uh, not really known for their action sequences. Uh, well, that makes the good. That makes what I considered impressive action sequences all the more impressive. Okay. Well, but but you really don't like it, Tom, when um, when a fight is intercut with a bunch of other fights. You want I, it just to linger on one fight. Well, I mean, that's it's kind of a way of doing these action sequences. Is the heroes all split up and they've each got their assignments, uh, and you kind of have to they pair them. off against the yeah. third stringer villain. And I don't have any problem like with with that when it's done well like in the avengers and in star wars i'm totally okay with that but uh yeah it's just i lose patience for it when you've got like your your main plot line and then all these other things just feel obligatory to just cut up the action and i didn't it didn't work for me here well if jar jar yeah did you like anthony mackie did you like that like that flight stuff did you like the falcon stuff nope nope I was like, "What? So wait, we have Iron Man repulsor suit technology in this in this movie, and yet here he is flying around on these silly wings, and all these guns are shooting, and <laughs> they can't hit him." Uh, that that was part of it too. Is I don't the, the stakes are so loosey goosey with what can hurt whom, you know, who is in danger to what, and that's kind of a tenet of how just these sloppy action comic booky things go. Uh, but here I didn't understand, you know, what, it, it, who's real? Okay, so, oh, Winter Soldier can pull his wings off and now he's shut down. And, you know, who is going to get hurt when he falls off a helicarrier? Oh, yeah. Who's not, you know? What about when he goes, I said the 40th floor, like he's irritated that they had to skirt three sides of the building and bank the copter to catch him. Yeah, and they play that for, I mean, it's just it's just fast and loose ac- action and whatever, but, yeah, it. It's just one of the many things that bounced off me is all that. It's okay when McG does it when he doesn't make nothing. Oh makes no! Sense. In the well, Charlie's Angels, no, in the Charlie's Angels movies, it's character driven. Oh it's my Character driven. What's their? What's Lucy Liu's character in Charlie's Angels? I think it was the forty-first floor. Yeah, Kelly one first of all, and forty. Uh, you know, you can't you can't tell from the outside though. Uh, here's another thing, by the way, where I'm like, "F you, movie, you jerk." Ah, here we go. You jerk, movie. You, you're a Dick. Dak. Uh, Dak. <laughs> this is a Dak. Yeah. Uh, that, by the way, if you didn't hear our nonstop podcast, that was uh, Julianne Moore calling Liam Neeson a dick. She calls him a Dak. Dak. Uh, so I, for suspecting her. Basically. Did you guys know what that Bible verse was on Samuel Jackson's tombstone? Yeah. Of course. It was cute. What? I do not need a Pulp Fiction reference it's in funny. my freaking. Captain America movie. Thank you. It was you very fun much. for me and three people. Oh, That's clever. It's a joke. It's uh, you guys would love in in uh, in uh, what's that that vampire thing that Catherine Bigelow did? Dead River, your favorite TV series. No, shut up. What's that Catherine Bigelow vampire thing? The cowboy <laughs> vampire. Near dark. Oh, near dark. You guys would love it in Near Dark when they're walking down the street and there's that aliens marquee. That would be right up your alley. Ugh. 
Good Lord, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> You're a deck. Um, you know. Well, let me ask you this then, because here's also where I was like, I don't think this movie is for me. This isn't working for me. I maybe I should go on over to Need for Speed now. Uh, yeah, there's your I didn't care. I didn't. I didn't care at all about Nick Fury being killed. What? No. Oh, okay, man. so that works for you. Crazy. All right, explain. To tell me how that worked. That worked out for you. Like that. That was like a. I, I can't like. And I. I was like, no, don't kill Clark Gregg. You know, when Agent Coulson gets it in the Avengers, that's a, that gets me. That's like I don't want that to happen. When Nick Fury's dying, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. That's what? why. Because he's a he's a he's a, the boss man. I guess so. He's not as sympathetic a character as, as Agent Coulson. Like Agent Coulson is clearly like it's that Joss Whedon. Let's make a sympathetic character and then kill him. And you, you know, I think Joss Whedon knows how to do that. These guys, you know, killing Nick Fury. No, I, and well, like, you're kind of right, Kelly. Well, it's like no, he's the boss guy. He's so. What if he dies? Well, you get to see him do shit in this movie. Usually, he's always fucking shit up and making bad decisions. That's true. I mean, yeah. So we give him a few action sequences and then he's die. Yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so that. But my question is like, okay, he can take on the twenty million cars, and Falcon can fly. It's like, so everyone has superpowers. Like with Captain America, he had to get into a machine, and it actually he had to do shit to him. But Falcon can still like take a hit from a missile, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just by running. Okay, what was doing? He's wearing a military suit, and that's what he had to do in Afghanistan because of RPGs. I mean, he. I know, but there's he's he's, he's awfully quick. To pick it up. He's very quick to study. He's not quick to pick it up. He's skilled oh. because he's had to do it in combat many times. It's, he doesn't he pick wear the it wings, up. Or did he wear the wings? Yes, that was the whole point. Uh, oh, okay. They, they pick up the file See, and they're like, that's what you were wearing in that thing? Oh, Tom that's... told me that he was one of those. <laughs> that was, there was a whole backstory. Hello? And he was a ghost. But as far as Nick Fury, <laughs> I totally understand what you're talking about as far as Clark Gregg is concerned because – uh, when he dies, it's like, oh, man, that's one of us. That's like, uh, we could have played that part or we could have be that guy. That's, that's one of, that's, yeah, he's no. such a likable one of us guys. Dingus, you would play the winter Civil gobble. You would get that part. <laughs> oh, good, because my hair's so long. Um, but nevertheless, because he's an integral part of the, the, the thing, when, when they're in the, the hospital looking through the glass at Nick Fury getting the code, you know, getting coded and, paddled and all those things my son leans <laughs> over to me and he goes if if it kills him i'm not gonna like it and by it, he means the movie if the movie kills nick fury he's not gonna like it and he decides that at that moment in the movie and so after they like they call it and there's that tearful scene with kobe smolders and they cart him away my my son leaned over me and said is, is nick fury really dead and all, all i can say to him is that the movie wants us to think he's dead I mean, it's it's clear to everybody, you know, over the age of thirty or twenty-five or fifteen, uh, that Nick Fury isn't really dead. Hey, whoa, whoa! It's not clear to me. I totally thought they'd killed him, and I didn't. Michael Caine told oh, me. Oh, good lord! It's clear that they've given him some kind of drug that slows his heartbeat. Why is but, that? No, Dingus, it's totally. I think an audience fake out. You're supposed to believe, and I did. To to my credit, I did what the movie told me to do. You're you're supposed to think, hey, Nick Fury, they kill him in this movie. I and, thought that. And the next Avengers comes out without him in it? Really? Sure. He's not a big deal. He's the boss. If they can kill Q in James Bond – spoiler, sorry. M. Uh, M. So, sorry. Who's Q? <laughs> <laughs> Q they just replace and that James Bond never gives a shit. Anyway, M. So M. In Skyfall, they can totally kill – that was my thinking. Uh, oh, I would tell Kiernan – I go, he, I go, look, 
Return of the Jedi? See, Harrison Ford wanted to kill off Han Solo, but look, now he trips over this twig. George Lucas. Because is like, Nick Fury is a great, I don't know if you would call him a foil or whatever, he's this, he's this evil good guy. He's, evil good guy, he's the, he's the police lieutenant who chews them out when they, when they get in trouble with the mayor. No, but he's also the guy they're like, we don't trust what you're doing, why are you doing this? You have to trust me. We don't trust what you're doing, and then you're going to do something good at the end. Mm-hmm. And so, right. but but he's in, he's just an integral part of that universe. He's very important to what the Avengers are. Well, and so the for my son, who right. who loves these characters, if this character is going to die, he's going to be really upset about it. And he decides midway through the movie, if this is what they're going to do, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> well, I would have been okay with it. And if you're out there and you're listening and you're going to make a Marvel movie and you want to kill Nick Fury, I'm still okay with it. I just want you to know. I'm just letting people know that. Uh, I don't mind if he dies. I didn't understand the thing with his eye either. What was the deal? Like his broken eye works on the retinal scanner? No, it, it still has a retina, even though it's he can't see through it. You can still. Well, why didn't he use his good eye? He did. He did. Both. He was tricking. Robert Redford didn't notice the eye patch all these years. <laughs> I didn't understand that. I, there are many things in this movie where I'm like, "What are you doing? I don't understand." Explain to me. Uh, here's another one. Can Captain America not use guns? Uh, yeah, he, he has does. a shield, which he uses like a gun. He should just get a gun that shoots shields. <laughs> and he works for shield, unrelated. <laughs> you see him with his shirt off? He had some guns. Yeah. He chucked a grenade at one point. I was like, wait a minute. You can throw a, a grenade back at someone, but you can't pick up their guns and shoot them at people. He probably did in the war. Well, he totally used guns in the first movie. I'm pretty sure he did. Maybe not. It was a different time. I guess but so. now he's like, oh, but they're terrorists, so i got to treat them gently. Here's another thing. What I think that his <laughs> cultural priorities are way out of whack. If yes, he ha- if he's, if he's, <laughs> So he's seen war games. Yeah, see? He hasn't listened to yeah. Nirvana yet. He, he's seen old <laughs> John Badden movies from the 80s before he is listening to Nirvana, and that's just messed up. Did you see Gina Carano's name? Was it crossed off yet? One, two, three, not only you and me. Got one I could have kept going for another hour listening to Tom. <laughs> uh, Dingus, just to wrap up, so you, you loved it. Kelly Wan, you liked it. Uh, tell us a bit about your son's overall reaction. So you got to see it with him. Uh, he was probably very excited. What what was his takeaway? Oh, he thought it was awesome. He totally, totally loved it. Yeah. It appeals even to a nine-year-old. That's how good that <laughs> He was going to not like it if they killed off Nick Fury. Uh, what, what, what's weird is that that's such a terrible double reveal. <laughs> when he gets off the helicopter, it's like, yeah, it's not a reveal, so don't. Oh, right. We shoot had it like it's a reveal. On this. You showed us before. <laughs> no, but you're supposed to go. Oh, Redford, ha! That's that. <laughs> That's what he should have said, by the way. Uh, I did briefly enjoy thinking that I was seeing Ginny a gutter kicking some ass. I was like, oh. awesome! I guess she knew karate. Oh, yeah. Crutch though in these Marvel movies where it's oh. like, oh no, it's the thing, it's Mystique, it's Loki. Yeah. I wanted to ask you who that was again, because when, when she Justin goes, because I remember you guys making a fuss about her from yeah. the Avengers and not remembering who she was. And when she gets to kick a little ass, 
uh, and then does the Mission Impossible mask thing, I wanted to ask who she was again. Well, to Kelly Wan, she's the girl from uh, Logan's Run. To me, she's the chick who gets naked and gets in the shower with David Naughton in American Werewolf in London. She's naked. She gets wet and naked in all her movies, which are only two. And well, except for Captain America: The Winter Soldier. She could have though. Uh, and the Avengers, because I don't think it's were all of those council members the same from uh, the other I movies. I don't think Powers Booth was in this. Oh, that's right. We lost Powers Booth at some point. I guess he resigned to spend more time with his family. And Shanling. Sure. Yeah. Wait. So is Sam Jackson in the TV series? No, no one's on the TV series, Kelly Wand. Uh, Clark Gregg and then some good-looking types who would be on an ABC TV Does that series. seem weird, though, that the guy who's the boss of the thing in the movie isn't on the TV series? Dingus, explain to us how the TV series works and explains all of that, because I'm sure you're... Like Love Boat? <laughs> are there three different agents who are all trying to hook up with different secretaries? There's a rip in the time-space continuum. That's ah, I guess. Yeah. And Clark Gregg is a clone. And continuum's an acronym, too. And there's a wizard. Uh, let's do a three-by-three. Three. Yeah. I didn't like this for a while because you guys made me uh, use up my number one, and then I couldn't think of any other ones. What was uh, your so, number one again? How do you like it? Uh, so let me explain to you about my number one. You guys didn't see Red, White, and Blue this week, did you? You didn't do your homework. I saw one of them. All right. Uh, so there's a there's a, a horror anthology called ABCs of Death, and it's uh, 26 short films i think each of them i think you get like three minutes tops or something like that actually let me do some math three yeah. 23 more than in the title um and each one is a director given a letter of the alphabet and i think i forget if they were given words i think they might have even been no i think they were just given a letter they had to come up with a word uh beginning with that letter and then make a a, a horror short and they, 23 of them were just almost unwatchable. The Ty West one is terrible. It made me almost retroactively hate his other movies. Um, but there are three good ones in ABCs of Death. One is called Dog Fight, and it's this great little absurd bit about a, a dog fight. Uh, another one is called Quack, and it is Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett who wrote and directed uh, Your Next. Uh, Which letter is that for? Well, it, that's the that's the point of it. Is they're like, fuck, we have the letter Q. What are we gonna do? And that's what that, that's what that is about. Uh, and then there's one for the letter P. That in the word that uh, Simon Rumley, that's the director who gets the letter P, he uses the word pressure, and it is a fantastic, horrifying little bit of of filmmaking that does some really clever things with the word that that he was given, that, that he came up with, uh, the word pressure. Um, so after seeing this, I, I wanted to see what movies he'd made. He made a movie called Red, White, and Blue, which I watched. Uh, Red, White, and Blue is, um, I guess you might call it like a, a, a Texas revenge drama, maybe. Uh, I don't even know. That's You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a story about three good people who do terrible terrible things um and i loved red white and blue and there's a there's an amazing marriage proposal in red white and blue and thinking of this this scene which actually isn't even in the movie it's just implied uh made me think okay let's do a three by three on marriage proposals <laughs> but then what happened over the course of the week is i realized you're getting married uh, well, marriages are kind of the the, the stuff of old timey movies and romantic comedies, neither of which is really in my wheelhouse. Uh, so I was so stuck. You only know three, and then it's easier, right? Uh, well, I came up with with some, but it, at first, once I 
I'd blown getting to use the awesome marriage proposal scene in Red, White, and Blue, uh, I was stuck having to think of three more. Um, so uh, I didn't like this topic. But you know what? You're right, though. That is true. It's like people don't get married in movies as much now. It's like dead widower, like widowers, like Liam Neeson. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's marriage is something that you either don't do or you've moved beyond, or it's it's just a weird institution. And it's a it it basically if you're making a romantic comedy, it's a part of that. Uh, or if you're making an older period piece, you know. Uh, but it's a shark jump too in franchises when the character is getting married. It's always going to suck for later. Well, let's find out. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, what were you going to say? Well, these are marriage proposals, uh, and these are our picks for, for marriage proposals. Uh, so I, I actually forgot to do this beforehand. Who's doing next week? Kelly Wand, right? No, it's um, Dingus. Uh, Dingus, you're next week. So, Dingus, you start us off. Uh, is that how it works? Whoever's next week is first? Yep. Because then they five, get Another five years, I'll know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. So, Dingus, did you hate this topic, too? No, no, I quite liked it actually because I have a I I had a couple that I knew right away and then I had to look around for my third and when I found my third which um, is kind of a cheat uh, I was very happy with my third too so I liked this very much. Okay, well that's because you like old timey movies. If you like it so much, why don't you marry it? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Right, movies. Uh, give us your give us your number three. And how many of these dingus are from before 1950? Are they all? Uh, let's see. Um, none of them. Interesting. Okay. 50s Tom's cutoff point for marital uh, news. <laughs> I found. All right. <laughs> all right. Here's a quote Thanks, from Tom. my uh, my third favorite marriage proposal movie. They're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it. Yeah, but what's the quote? <laughs> They're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it. Uh, children of a lesser god? I know it's my answer to everything, but... I don't think I've seen this movie. It's got to romantic. Uh, midnight Run. Speed Zone. Imagine Jason Schwartzman going, They're not listening to me. Let me rephrase it. Oh, uh, uh, the oh, dead gummit, the thing about, about no, no, the thing about uh, dead gum, the Sofia Coppola thing about where he's the king of France. <laughs> that was that thing, that Marie oh, Antoinette thing. What? No, it's, it's Moonrise Kingdom before he marries them. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> what? Okay, that's a good one. Do you love that's each other? Really yes, yes, we love. Well, each that's other. a good marriage, but what's They're the proposal? I don't remember the. I don't remember the moment of the proposal. Well, that's the thing. The, the proposal is is uh, kind of buried in this, and your kind of thing about not being able to see the actual wedding in red, white, and blue. Uh, Did you see it? No. Oh, oh. no! You don't. You don't only not see the wedding. You know what? Let me just spoil it real quick. So there's a. That uh, it. Well, okay, let's just do this real quick. So Red, White, Blue is about three different characters. At different times, the movie follows different characters. And at one point, one of the characters says to someone, let me ask you a question. And then it cuts to another thread, another plot thread, and you follow that character for a while. And it's only after the movie is over when you see a photograph that you realize what the guy's question was. Uh, so it's clearly a marriage proposal. You don't see it, but you know it's going to happen. And so, so uh, yeah, so it's, it's not – how love is. I guess so. 
Um, so that's the cool thing in, in red, white, and blue. And I don't remember the specific marriage proposal in Moonrise Kingdom. You said it was kind of buried, Dingus? Well, there's not one necessarily. I mean, there's this great moment where they're walking before before they rope uh, Jason Schwartzman character into marrying them, where, where, where Sam, uh, played by Jerry Gilman, asks, where's the chaplain tent? Um, back there, but, uh, you know, the Padre's home with the mumps. Why do you ask? I want to bring my wife, but we're not married yet. Um, and so there's not an actual... So you picked a, a marriage instead of... You picked no, a no, wedding. No, no, no. No. Oh. What I love is that there's this moment in that whole Moonrise Kingdom uh, beach sequence, and it's a beautiful sequence, and I love – I watched this movie again this week – where they're on opposing rocks uh, across the – that – I don't know what it is – that cove from each other across the Moonrise Kingdom cove, and then he yells across to her, let's jump, and so what – I decided was that when he says let's jump, <laughs> it's a that's, metaphor. That that's basically the marriage proposal. Marriage and I think that was a metaphor. Yeah, I think that was a metaphor for consummating the marriage. Well, they're eleven, so I'm not <laughs> going to make that a metaphor for that. Well, well um, there is there is fooling. Around. There is some uh, hanky panky in that movie, Dingus. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, there is. Uh, turn your head to the side. She's a gum fetishist. <laughs> so when he suddenly says, I want to bring my wife, and she's like, but we're not married yet. Uh, I just I looked at that moment where he says, let's jump as basically their their marriage proposal. He had a case of hornithology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you have a number three pick for uh, – yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to ask, but Kelly Wan – what did you think of this topic, and what did you pick for your number three choice? Wait, why are you reluctant? Because you're just going to do stuff from like Star Wars or Zapped or Cannonball Run. No. Oh, okay. I found other things that are dumb. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I like the topic. Okay. It's something I hadn't really thought of before, and it's novel because I don't really marriage to me just between us sounds really weird. It's only something that one of us on this podcast has done. Yeah, and it didn't work out so good. That's the thing is most of them don't. Most of them are like failures, but it seems like weird that you'd be with the same person for decades. Like if you're both going to become different organisms and also romantic relationships based on emotions shouldn't affect your taxes. That seems so weird. Well, it's I mean, the the point of I think the dramatic purpose of a marriage proposal is it's it's a change. Like it's a it's a it's a it's a turning point in a relationship. Like once a relationship goes from just two people being together to entering this institution of marriage. Like in a movie, that's a, that's a dramatic beat and sure. it's important. And I think a lot of movies are more about – like they kind of don't really care about acknowledging that. Like let's just show the romance and the love and traditionally, yeah, that becomes a part of it. But you have romantic comedies now that don't need anything to do with marriage. Um, yeah, but it seems like in the movies, it's like the two wacky, crazy characters get married. Well, it's kind of a way, too, to tie a bow on it, in a way, yeah. like, right, and to say, okay, so now everything's going to work out and fine. You know, these people met each other, and there was some tension, but they worked it out, and now they're going to get married, so it's all fine. We're gonna right. It's either Even a, resol- though, it's a resolution yeah. or a punchline. Yeah, yeah. Dingus said it best, Kelly Wand. <laughs> uh, well, you know, used to that. Um, but having said that, I like married women, because they're already broken in. <sighs> My number three is from a movie I've never seen, and by one of my least favorite actors. 
That's always a good sign for a three by three pick. It's a great lead in. But it's the first one I thought of. Uh, I don't think any of us have seen it, but it's Chris O'Donnell in the Batman movie. and Robin. No, he doesn't get married in that. They're already married. Uh, Batman and Robin are married. Yeah. To whom? Each other. Each other. Oh, to Doctor Fleas. It's not gay if there's a cave. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, there's this. He made a movie, Chris O'Donnell made a movie called The Bachelor, and the plot line was that he inherits like a million dollars. I this is all the stuff I got from the trailer, by the way. Uh, he inherits like a million dollars, but he has to get married in 24 hours. Ah, right. And so, what's the proposal scene? Well, so he, he has a girlfriend, uh, and it's Renee Zellweger. Oh, and so he, the, it seems like it would be a pretty short movie. Right, but then he does it by going. He like chucks the box at her and goes, "You win," and then, <laughs> which to me is the greatest proposal I've ever seen. <laughs> and then the movie's arc is him learning to feign sincerity more convincingly for the marriage proposal, or at least like long enough to inherit money. But then there's like a shot, like the movie posters, like a bunch of chicks in bridal gowns, like chasing him over a cliff, like in Meaning of Life. So I'm going to go out on a limb and make a prediction. That is the only time The Bachelor will be on a 3 by 3 list. <laughs> the movie, not the show. You no, know, the, the, the Bachelor hasn't been on the movie list. The Bachelor trailer has. Ah, good point. Right. And that I say that something Chris O'Donnell said is awesome. <laughs> That's probably the only time I ever play that Trump. Who uh, uh, My number three pick is a movie I have seen, but I didn't rewatch it. I instead watched this scene on YouTube and loved it. Uh, I'll give you a line. Uh, I was wondering what you're doing for the next 40 or 50 years. I guess you got married. What do, what do you mean? Uh, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind marrying me very much. <laughs> now, you guys probably can't tell. That's my Sylvester Stallone voice. Oh, uh, I thought it was O'Donnell again. <laughs> uh, Wait, in, again? In Rocky II, when he proposes to ah. Talia Shire, he takes her to a zoo and... And he's like, you know, hey, do you like the zoo? And she's like, yeah, I guess. He's like, well, I like the zoo. The zoo's awesome. And the zoo they're in, it's, I guess this is Philadelphia. It's snowy and there's no one there. And it's like an abandoned zoo. Ugh. And they walk past the tiger cage and there's some poor tiger sitting back there in the snow. She's got on earmuffs and a sweater. He's got a pork pie hat with snow in it. Like he's been snowed on. Uh, and he says, you know, I wonder what you're doing the last four or five, for the next 40 or 50 years. She says, what do you mean? And he's, he's just doing that rocky mumbling thing. It's it's very sweet and endearing in this barren, snowy zoo with no one there. She's got nothing else, and the environment reminds her of this. Well, and she accepts, and he announces it to the tiger. And he's like, hey, tiger. You're a best friend. Yeah. <laughs> huh. But it just made me think. I guess he's changed his stripes. Uh, Rocky was like, uh, it's Stallone's such kind of a, a, speaking of punchline, it's just such a joke these days. Uh you know, that that Rocky stuff was really kind of cool. And well, he thought that was acting then, but now it's... Didn't he win an Academy Award for acting in Rocky, by the way? Did he? I don't know. Or writing. Oh, maybe Directing. for writing. Right. Wait, directed. Writing, I think. It was for writing? All right. So he's never... Sylvester Stallone has never given us an Academy Award winning performance. Is that true? Only, only his written work will endure. <laughs> okay. Like Ben Affleck. And yeah. Oh, and now uh, and now a director. Ben Affleck is one as a writer and a director, not as an actor yet. Maybe with the Zack Snyder Batman movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, Dingus, what's your number two favorite? <laughs> That's a good one, by the way. The Rocky right. Two one. Do you? Yeah, remember yeah. That? Uh, yeah, and I like that movie. They're just so cute. Remember where he he's they try to make him do a TV commercial, and he's like dressed as a caveman, and that's when he they learn that he can't read. <laughs> oh my god, that's adorable! I know. See, <laughs> and Adrian's watching it all like that's my husband. <laughs> the zoo is where, where our honeymoon's going to be. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Well, I'm a fan of the first three Rocky movies, and then they kind of start. How many are oh, there, Kelly? There's six. No way. There are not six Rockies. There's six and four Rambos and three Expendableses. There are not six Rocky movies. Yeah, there's six. The fifth one, he's bankrupt and he has brain damage. And the sixth oh, and then I guess Rocky and Balboa, or the what's it called? Is What's this last one called? It doesn't have a number, right? Balboa, yeah. And who's the douche who plays his son? That Milo Ventiglamilia dude? Yeah, from Heroes. He's from Heroes? That explains a lot. He's from TV. Right. Uh, Tom hates his TV. <laughs> People who do TV actor like TV actors should not be in movies. Just stick to TV. That's that's my advice. And I you say that as someone actor. who was right. I, I was gonna say I say that as someone who was once barely. I mean, I barely even qualified. Say that as someone who bombed his uh, Twister audition. Who <laughs> was not cast like a manly handshake at Sue's. That's true. Uh, Go back to television where you belong, you losers. <laughs> Uh, that Milo Ventiglamilia dude was in a, a vampire, uh, a movie about hot vampire chicks, and he's the dude that they're fighting over. The Alyssa Milano one? No, it was kind of like – no, it was directed by a, a woman who – actually, the direction was really good, but the two actresses in it were terrible. I think it was called Kiss of the Damned, uh, and it was just these terrible two this super hot vampire chicks. And like Milo Ventiglamilia was the object of their desire, and he – Definitely wasn't worth it. I was like, ladies, ladies, you can do way better than this guy. You're always derisive of actors, and I'm always giving them free passes. Because if they can even say the lines, I'm impressed. <laughs> That's a start. Yeah. yeah. All right, anyway, so Dingus, what Sorry. is your number two favorite marriage proposal? And maybe this one will actually have a marriage proposal in it. It's okay. not a metaphor. Tom this just... one has an actual marriage proposal, and here's the line from it. Okay. I'm walking here. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm walking in here on my knees, Ed, a free man proposing. Raised in Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love this proposal. Did he call her Ed? Yeah, because she's Edwina. Man, that's Holly Hunter's name in Raising Arizona? Yeah, that's kind of that's a joke that her name's Ed. Edwina. Short for Edwina. That's cute. You think I'd remember that. Uh, all right, so, so but tell us the proposal. Tell us about that. So he's uh, he's fallen in love with her over – uh, this is one of the greatest introduction sequences of all time is that – that whole sequence where you're hearing the banjo picking before the uh, the yodeling happens, and we see that the movie is called Raising Arizona, and uh, and H.I. McDonough is going into jail and out of jail and robbing convenience stores and doing this great uh, this great voiceover, and he's fallen in love with Ed, who Edwina, who is the cop who is taking the pictures. And uh, over the course of this, he's fallen in love with her, and you know, don't forget his fingers, Ed. And then she has to take his fingerprints, and he puts a he puts a ring on her finger before he proposes. He puts a ring. Don't worry, I paid for it. He puts this little cheap ring on her finger, and then he comes walking in at one point when he's 
gotten paroled again, and he says, I'm walking in here on my knees, a free man proposing. And I just remember the first time I saw Raising Arizona. Uh, it was my freshman year of college. I had never seen it. I did know, not know what the heck anybody was talking about. They're like, come on, you have to see it. You have to see this. And uh, I remember, and, too, like that the title would make no sense to you. Like To us now, yeah. it totally makes sense. But Raising Arizona, what does that mean? Like lifting up a whole state? That makes no sense. But yeah. it also made me I, I didn't want to see the movie at all because it looked like a Mr. Mom movie because they're sitting there on <laughs> these lawn chairs with a baby. And I don't want to see a movie about babies and diapers and all that. I don't want to see that <laughs> stupid like diaper-changing comedy. I, you know, screw that. I was in college. I didn't want to see any of that. That was stupid. And my friends were like, I assure you that is not what this movie is. And when he says, I'm walking here, I'm walking in here on my knees, a free man proposing. I love that line. I love, I'm walking in here on my knees. Uh, and that he proposes to her while she's taking pictures of criminals. Um, and he's on parole. I love that proposal so much. And then of course the wedding is just like a bunch of criminals and cops in this little chapel. But I just love that proposal. I'm walking in here on my knees, a free man proposing. Dingus, uh, Nicholas Cage is in David Gordon Green's next movie. Boom. Let's do this. Oh, thank you, Tom. Kelly Wand, what do you have to top that? Is it me again? As your number two pick for a favorite marriage proposal. Uh, this one you'll like, but I, th- I worry you'll think it breaks the rules. Here's the quote. <laughs> I like you. It's not a marriage. Yeah, it is. It's not a marriage. Sure it is. A succubus carrying off yeah. a victim is not a marriage. What's the proposal? Oh, it's not the marriage. What is the proposal? Well, that's not proposing the, to him. Marriage is being requested. I like you. It's I not a request. It's like a shotgun wedding. I understand. Tell uh, the listeners what you're, what it's, on earth you're talking about. Although, sh- go on. Well, is, is it a spoiler? I don't know. Ah, uh, maybe. All right. It's a, you don't think it fits. You think it's bad? Of course, it's a marriage. <laughs> Kelly, do you know the definition of marriage? <laughs> you know, it's a. I believe well, involves some sort of a legal contract. There's, it's, it's usually consensual. <laughs> it won't be legally yeah, binding in any state. That's the part I don't get. It's like the paperwork makes it harder to break up, and then if you're, it means that you're a paperwork exhibitionist. I'll explain your point. pick to people because I, I don't think anybody well, knows. Marriage means different. Well, people got married before paperwork. Didn't old, like kings and queens of Egypt, brah. And the they had, that was papyrus work. They still wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, what about uh, the Druids and cavemen? Yeah, that's what Stonehenge is. Those are all contracts. Yeah. Look, she's a different race. All right, well, explain to people what you're talking about. What, what movie is short you're spoiling for them? It's in the movie VHS, which isn't a movie because it's a documentary about different things that happen to people with cameras. And in the first one... Uh, a succubus tells a dude in a bar, I like you, and then carries him away until his glasses fall. Except you got to say it right. I like you. Yeah. She's all, it sounds slightly foreign. Cause I like she's you. Saying, I like you. That's good. You know what? It's so like creepy you. when Tom says it. I know, because he sounds just like a succubus. <laughs> I like you. Thank you. I mean, it really does. She has no, like, she knows kind of what she's saying. And uh, I think my comparison was it's, it's kind of like a, an equivalent of Little Mermaid, where she's, like, trying to experience love in a setting that she doesn't really understand. Well, she's like Wally. She saw a musical. Oh, God, like and now she thinks you, that's how you, you marry someone, is go, I like So, yeah, not only is that not a marriage, Kelly Wand, it's not a marriage proposal either, I'm afraid. Yeah. 
Does a wedding follow? Yeah. Look, the in ancient Europe, <clears throat> if I may, Tom, uh, people got married when they didn't want to all the time because the parents would go, okay, I get this chalet and you get those crops. Speaking of ancient Europe, my number two pick. <laughs> you win. <laughs> this is from an, an A.S. Byatt uh, novel, and it oh. was uh, made into a movie by a fellow named uh, Philip Haas. Um, and the movie is called Angels and Insects. It's pretty obscure. Uh, it has an actor named Mark Rylance in it that I really, really like. And I'm not going to do a line from it because there's no way I could imitate his um, – he has this uh, harder than a succubus to do. No, he has this English burr. It's not like a proper London English accent. It's almost like if you didn't know better, it might sound Scottish or something. But Mark Rylance's voice, his accent is so cool. So I can't do it. But Angels and Insects, when it's as it's unfolding, you're thinking you're watching this very merchant ivory traditional. Uh, it's, it's Victorian England where this this natural scientist. Um, is uh, working for someone cataloging this guy's nature collection. So it's a rich man's nature collection. And he falls in love with the the man's daughter, with one of his daughters. Um, And the daughter's played by Patsy Kensett, who everybody Ah. everybody knows like the hot chick from the Lethal Lethal Weapon 2, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Patsy Kensett is the rich man's daughter, and Mark Rylance is this naturalist, this scientist who is putting together this man's collection. He has he's been working in the Amazon, and he was in a shipwreck on the way back, and he lost everything. So he's basically destitute at this point. Uh, so he's working uh, for this rich man, and he falls in love with Patsy Kensett, and he's into bugs. He's an etymologist, and he's cataloging butterflies. And at one point, he shows her these moths. Um, and she has some weird dark background that we don't know. And the cool thing about angels and insects is that unlike a merchant ivory story, it is not proper Victorian English lords and ladies stuff. It has this very mean sort of nasty side to it that emerges. Um, but as he's falling in love with Patsy Kensett, he's showing her these moths and she freaks out and gets scared of them. And they totally panic her. And in reassuring her – he accidentally proposes to her because he has no – he is positive that because he is poor and he has none of her social uh, leanings, he can't uh, appreciate like society the way that she can and he knows she needs to marry into money and, and uh, she lost – her previous suitor, like she was engaged to, I think, a, a, a colonel in the military who died, uh, and he just knows he can't live up to that. So after calming her down about these moths, he confesses uh, very properly, very Englishly, that he the last thing he would want to do is scare her or hurt her because it, it would mean so much if he could have a woman like her as his wife, but he is too poor. And she says – Oh, I don't care about money. And this is all very proper in English. And then he realizes that she's basically saying, yeah, okay, we can get married. Uh, and so it's kind of foisted upon him. And that's the point as the movie progresses that there is some subtle engineering and there's, there's a different agenda going on here. But it's Mark Rylance's accidental proposition in uh, Angels and Insects. All right. Uh, Sounds good. Kelly, you would like Angels and Insects. Oh. Uh, here's what's hot. If you think Patsy Kensett is hot, so before English Patient, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was in Angels and Insects, and she plays the the more scientifically inclined 
uh, kind of buttoned up sister. She's Patsy Kensett's sister. Uh, and they cannot, like, I don't know if it's just because I've seen English Patient, but they cannot not make Kristen Scott Thomas look hot. It just doesn't work. They try their hardest. They really give it their best shot, but it, it, it's not working. They give her this, like, school marm hairdo kind of thing and everything, but nope, she's still totally hot in Angels and Insects. Like in Scooby Doo with Velma. Yeah, Velma is yeah. hotter than. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, though. Remember Greta Scotchy or whatever it was? Uh, yeah, from what? What do we know? Uh, Presumed Innocent with your favorite actor, Harrison Ford. Um, that's the one where his wife goes missing in France. No. <sighs> Dude, Dingus, listen to what I have to listen Dingus, to. what's your number one favorite marriage proposal? All right, here's a bit of dialogue from my favorite mar- marriage proposal Can't thou love me? I cannot tell. What can any of your neighbors tell, Kate? I'll ask them. Midnight Run. That's definitely De Niro. I know it's De Niro, Tom. Close. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Did did like was there was there a little bit of uh, Woody Hail Allen Rider. in his voice? No, I think he's doing like something with Diane Keaton and Woody Allen. No, but the character I just did, I didn't do his full accent, but he has played a Woody Allen character. Owen Wilson. No. Kenneth Branagh. Yes, very oh, is good. He, are you doing a Taming of the Shrew? No, I'm doing Henry V. Oh. Uh, and since uh. you uh, did a novel adaptation, I feel okay with doing a play. Usually I don't like to do Shakespeare plays because I feel like it's a play, it's not a movie. But um, but the marriage proposal at the end of Henry V is clearly my favorite. I love this scene with, uh, with Catherine and Henry where – you know, where Henry Henry's made this part of the proposed part of the treaty proposal that he gets the daughter of the French king. Um, but then there's the scene where he has to actually convince her that she should marry him. He, and there's this whole wooing scene where there's this weird sort of I love you, Kate. And he does this whole thing of why he loves her. And I don't I you know, I didn't I wasn't used to this play at this time and it would be I think it maybe this was in 1989 that this came out I think and it would probably be a year maybe two years before I did a scene from this um, I did the scene where where Henry goes out to the uh, the troops like he puts a cloak on and now he's magically disguised much like Noah gets to put a cloak on and get magically disguised um, and and it's this great scene where he's but uh, but I love I love this play so much and I love the I love the movie Henry V and this scene where it's the marriage proposal where he's convincing her why she should love him and and why uh, he's not an enemy of France because uh, I love her so much I would not I would not part with one province of her or one part of her I, I want I want France all for myself um, but she has to agree to it in order for this treaty to work yeah, but also the chemistry between Emma Thompson and Kenneth Brown is just so great in this scene and and when they finally get to the point where where they kiss and there's a lot of stuff with language and them playing with English and French but the the idea of him having to propose to her as part of this treaty but it's still this really wonderful romantic scene. Uh, and it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to this particular part of literature and not understanding it at all, but totally understanding the dynamic of the scene. Uh, the way Kenneth Branagh directs the scene, you totally get the dynamic. 
and I love this proposal. So there you go, Henry Five. All right, Kelly One. I bet you can't top that one. Uh, I didn't wait. So there's five Henrys and six Rockies. Exactly. They were going to call the movie Regarding Henry, but that was already taken. Right, and then the sixth one they were going to call Frantic. He wasn't acting in Regarding Henry, by the way. <laughs> oh snap! That's for you, Tom. Thank you. It's your Valentine's. Uh, my number one is uh, in Spider-Man Three when um, Bruce Campbell's French waiter uh, loses the ring in some champagne or it dissolves or something. I can't remember, but that was a good one. Huh? That's also my react. That's the reaction of Spider-Man to Aunt May telling him there's no chimney in the house. Huh? It's also a failed marriage proposal because it winds up not actually happening and then the end of the movie is like okay we're not getting married all that was in bullshit. fact it's it winds up not being a marriage proposal well it's a thwarted marriage proposal because the french waiter lost the uh i can't remember it was pretty intense all right obviously it made an impression on you i see it's the last time i thought oh sam raimi's doing some good shit uh my number one pick is also a thwarted marriage proposal and it's why i like it so actually, that you could tell from the line I'll give you. Here's the line. Didn't work out the way I planned at all. I'm going to need you to come out here and get me whenever you wake up in the morning. Call me when you get this, okay? <laughs> uh, I love that this this movie opens. So, so many movies. I, I love when a movie opens with characters in some transitional state or something has just happened and they're reacting and we're seeing the aftermath of something, and we don't quite know what. We don't really understand the relationships. Uh, and this movie is, I think, the entirety of this movie, which, by the way, I hate, but I think the entirety of this movie is a marriage proposal. And it begins with a guy and a girl dressed up, obviously coming back from some formal event. We're about to find out it's a wedding. And she has just... <laughs> turned down his marriage proposal he has just at the wedding said will you marry me and she's like uh no and they're driving back having this awkward drive back from the wedding and they are coming to stay at this cabin that he has rented for them and when they come in he has put rose petals everywhere and he's got champagne chilled and everything and candles all set up and he didn't realize that they were going to be coming back to stay here tonight after she had said to him no and this movie opens with this fantastic dynamic. And one of the reasons that I love this dynamic is that the guy who's getting shot down, here's me being harsh on actors again. I don't know what did Scott Speedman is such, he's so like smug and blandly handsome. I can't stand Scott Speedman. And I think it's partly because of when I met him and I met him. I don't mean the first, I mean the first time I saw him in a movie. I don't know. I don't, I think he's from TV. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I first saw Scott Speedman in one of those Underworld movies, and Kate Beckinsale can sell those Underworld movies. She wears the outfit. She looks badass. She's – okay, fine. She's a vampire. I'll buy that. Just watch. I'm going to watch her kick people. Scott Speedman, on the other hand, is supposed to be like some, vam, some werewolf type guy, and he hooks up with her, and he totally is not – she's way out of his league. She's way too hot for him. 
he just he, he Scott Speedman looks like he's everything in his life has just been handed to him, and he looks very smug about it. I just find him really annoying. So the fact that the movie, which I'll not tell you the name of it, the movie The Strangers opens with Scott <laughs> Speedman having been shot down from a marriage proposal, I'm immediately on board with this. I'm like, yeah, movie, all right, that's the way to play us in. Um, and his his his. Uh, supposed wife, the one who's turned him down, uh, Liv Tyler. She's like, nope, sorry. Wait, he proposed marriage to her? I didn't get that from that. From uh, No, we even do get a flashback to where he pulls the... Uh, you didn't get marriage from that, Kelly Wand? Well, you know. Well, so here's the deal. So then The Strangers becomes, and here's why I hate it, this really... Uh, kind of artless slasher porn movie where the killers and their masks just manage to be one step ahead. You know, every time they're going to run out to the car and get away, oh, the killers anticipated that and they're standing there. Or every time somebody's going to crawl out the window, oh, the killers know they were going to do that. Or, oh, here comes somebody to rescue them. Oh, the killers know what was going to happen. Uh, it's just the killers. They're they're magically invincible and omniscient and inv- well they throw the game Speedman throws the game because they're walled in with a shotgun on the door. That's the, that's another thing too is that he's armed like he's got yeah. a gun and bullets and you think but no he's the like, killers Come on, bitches the killers your- know to let his friend who he's called to pick him up show up and then he shoots the friend like the killers know all that's going to happen they've got it all planned whatever uh, I, I hate the strangers because of that but. What happens at the end of The Strangers is they get caught. The Strangers catch them. They could have done this at any point, whatever. They catch them and they tie them up and they stab them to death. But while they're tied up, before they're about to be stabbed to death, Scott Speedman looks over and Liv Tyler shows him and she says, I love you. He sees that she has put on the wedding ring that he that she had rejected. So it's all about how it opens with her rejecting the marriage proposal. And after undergoing all this stuff with these psycho masked killers and they're about to be killed, she has accepted his proposal and put on the ring. Well, that's nice of her, but it's not really the same offer, is it? It's a little bit late. She could be lying. It doesn't matter. Although she comes, she doesn't die though. I hate that too. That whole stupid. That's another thing. So it's going to be a grudge match. Every time that, like in a in a horror movie, when you come up on a on somebody who's like unconscious or you think they're dead, like who wakes up in a jump scare? Like a jump scare of somebody waking up when you yeah with their eyes open. Oh, good lord! I hate that. Uh, no, that's how it is. Is that really? Yeah, I asked a doctor once. He's like, oh yeah, I was all the time. <laughs> but I like movies that open with weird relationship beats like that. Um, and uh, his wife had done it like six times. The doctor did that you asked yeah. about this. It was a complicated conversation. Okay, yes. what were you saying? If your jump scare way you know lasts for four hours, then you should definitely contact a different doctor. <laughs> That's why they keep the stethoscopes around their necks. Uh, so, wait. So you like the strangers coming on? No. Oh, okay. But you did. Well, because what you said is true. It's like it doesn't play by the rules. It's also not that scary. Like it starts out kind of promising. It's slot. You know what? After seeing your next, there's no reason for. By the way, that's that was like considered. It's not really a marriage a parody proposal. Of the but I loved AJ Bowen's kind of half-assed. Maybe I'll float. This is a marriage proposal to Sharni yeah. Vincent at the end. Right. <laughs> he just he literally says because I watched it before we started. He literally says, uh, you know, when he's spinning out like how to explain this to her, he says maybe an engagement like when he's offering what's going to happen next right. and when she's kind of just impassive he backs off from that he realizes it. he gets an answer <laughs> i'll say she doesn't sweat uh, but that, what i hate about the strangers is it really is just i i agree with you it's not that scary kelly one but it's got plenty of jump scares and they're all stupid jump scares 
Uh, it's all like where she's creeping around. She thinks she's alone in the yeah, house. And a hand gets her from behind. And, oh, it's Scott right. Speedman who is just, you know, don't sneak up like that. Um, it's dumb. And it's also the this whole thing with, like, I feel like it, if it had been a story about about – Marriage, like if if they, had, I don't even think the director knew what he was on to with this idea of, well, she finally accepts because they have this thing where the the killers are behind masks, and once the killers have them tied up and they're going to start stabbing them, they take the masks off. But the movie is really cool about uh, never letting us really see their face. Well, we know what one of them looks like. What do you mean? Because the first one comes to the door. Oh, the lights not the lights off. You can't see her because well, he even like tries to flip the 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 porch light. And nope, the killers are smart enough. They deactivated that. No, but the chick comes to the door and goes, "Is what's her face here?" It's Tamara here, and the yeah, chick is yeah. one of the killers. But you don't see that chick's face. Yeah, but the person Liv Tyler could have if she'd given a shit. Right? No. Well, the the thing is, the audience doesn't see their. That's face. what I'm saying. That's, That's why that movie sucked. Well, but, but but if they had somehow like been, I, I don't know. I don't want to just say like. It, they cut away. I think the fact that they were faceless didn't mean anything, but it could have meant something. Like, it could have been a cool thing. Um, but I think that it was just – I don't know what it was supposed to be. Yeah, they cut away when they take the masks off. That's when they both – when they realize, okay, now we're really going to kill them. The cameraman's in on it. That's the problem. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's all kinds of stupid things like where we, the audience – like the, the, the killers are stalking them in ways that only we, the audience, can see. They're doing it for our benefit. Uh, because the characters are oblivious. That there's someone just standing back there in the dark looking at them. And they're just doing that because that's, you're right, because the cameraman's in on it. Dude, if you're in the room with a shotgun, yeah. and you still fuck it up, <laughs> it's on you. You're an idiot. You Tell you what, that, that's Scott Speedman for you. <sighs> well, at least he's consistent. I will say this, though. Uh, there's a, a really, I think I've mentioned it before, this really mean-spirited, nasty Canadian thriller, ironically, called Good Neighbors, with Jay Baruchel, a really, really cool actress named Emily Hampshire, and Scott Speedman. And it's kind of this Hitchcockian thriller about these people that live in a, it's not a duplex, it's, it's not quite, it's like a house with subdivision, what do you call that? Uh, Dupl- uh, condo? Kind of, called Timeshare. It's like apartments. NASDAQ. It's like apartments. Um, and Emily Hampshire lives in one apartment, and Jay Barakel lives in another one, and Scott Speedman is a guy in a wheelchair who lives in one of the apartments. And I really liked him in Good Neighbors, so he, he got some goodwill from me. You like him when he doesn't walk. Uh, I guess, yeah, fair, yeah. You don't like his style. Put him in a wheelchair, and I can deal with it. Yeah. Who's Who do you put above, James Marsden or Scott Speedman? Who's the rich man's witch? Uh, okay. James Marsden was one of the – James Marsden was sneering throughout Anchorman 2, which is the appropriate reaction to every single thing in Anchorman 2. So James he's, Marsden is who I pick. He's off your shit list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, James Scott Marsden – oh, you know what? You're right. Kelly, one James Marsden in that uh, Straw Dogs remake. Uh, you told me not to see that. I know. Though. So now he's back on. My, so I'm going with Scott – I'm going with Scott Speedman. Although you know who Dingus would pick because James Marsden is uh, Cyclops. Yeah. But look how he goes out. It's fucking weak. Thanks, he goes out. Like on the town? No, in uh, X-Men 3 when his character departs the franchise. He dies? I was trying to not spoil it. <sighs> I've seen it. I just forgot. How does, Phoenix, the, how does Cyclops so. die in X-Men 3? We don't really get to see it. But Phoenix kisses him by the ocean, and then he it makes his glasses float away. That kills you when Phoenix kisses you? Well, she's Dark Phoenix. It That kills you. 
Kissing normal Phoenix doesn't kill you, I think, depending on who you are. And touching Rogue is bad news, too. So you really, it's hard to have a relationship with an X-Men chick, isn't it? Unless it's J-Lore. Although the, she seems the, a little high-maintenance. The reason James Marsden is the better one is because he makes that death at a funeral uh, trailer. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, oh, he's the one white dude. <laughs> Am I thinking of a different movie? <laughs> no, wait a minute. There's plenty of white. There's James Marsden. Isn't uh, Luke Wilson? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Alan Tudyk? It's not a compliment, Derek. <laughs> Dingus doing a line from Death at a Funeral, directed Tudyk. by Dingus. Do you know who? Of course. Neil LaBute. Hmm. Ah. He's our Cormac McCarthy. It's not a compliment, Derek. All right. Paul Weimer writes... Hi, guys. I didn't want to leave you guys at the altar without submitting an answer for this week's 3 by 3 Fives. <laughs> and he even wrote in parentheses, cue a groan, possibly from Kelly. What? I laughed and went, ah. That's not a groan, is it? Paul Weimer's number three pick. Uh, oh, here you go. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind marrying me very much. From Rocky, proposing to Adrian at the Philadelphia Zoo in Rocky 2. Yes. High five, Paul Weimer. See? Uh, Paul's number two pick. I've asked you the quote. I've asked you 40 different ways, and it's time you came up with a fresh answer. You're my best friend. Marry me. Best friends for Reynolds, Goldie Hawn. I could say that to either one of you two. That's just weird. Who would you marry first, me or Dingus? Uh, I would have to be be a bigamist, Kelly Wand. Ew. Big of us. This line is Johnny Cash proposing to June in Walk the Line. Ah. I didn't see it because it's a biopic. Yeah, I don't see biopics either. And it's about uh, the, I didn't like that movie because it's, you know, junkies are tedious. But the vocal performances are amazing. I, I love that soundtrack. And in fact, I own it. They they sing the hell out of those songs. Things, awesome. Why don't you just get a bunch of Johnny Cash songs? That's what I, yeah, that's what I don't get about biopics about musicians because you have the music anyway. No, uh, I like those songs too, but I like their take on it. I think Joaquin Phoenix does a great job, and so does Reese Witherspoon. Their their version of, of Jackson and his version of Ring of Fire, uh, their versions of those are really cool. I mean, I love the Johnny Cash versions. I'll listen to them all day long. But I love those versions, especially their version of Jackson. It's great. Dingus, you have said on this podcast before that no more movies are allowed to use Ring of Fire. Do you still stand by that? That's how I feel uh, about that. I've never said that. Uh, I thought you said that. I thought you said you were, you were applying a moratorium to any movie using the Johnny Cash song Ring of Fire. Zombies? Uh, I, I think it's more likely that I would be to say that nobody can use Where Is My Mind than I would be Ring of Fire. All right. We'll check the tape on that. All right. Go ahead. Paul Weimer's number one pick. In The Corpse Bride, the accidental marriage proposal Victor makes by slipping his wedding ring on dead Emily's finger, which he thinks is just a tree branch, is just the beginning of a fantastic film. Oh, so he's married to a tree by accident. I don't understand why you would watch Corpse Bride and not Nightmare Before Christmas. I didn't see Corpse Bride. Is that Henry Selleck, too? I don't think it is. I think it's just Tim Burton. I think it's Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah, it's Selleck. Yeah, and that's not a winning proposition, as anybody who Uh, saw Dark Shadows knows. Yeah, Yeah. and most things. Paul's runner-up. I had to include an Empire State Building pick here, an expat New Yorker. See, uh, this is not a marriage proposal, Paul. Uh, uh, seen in a flashback slash memory. Oh, wait, maybe it is. Brainstorm. Wait. Wait. Is it a marriage proposal? Back to anyway, 
Well, he's saying uh, in a flashback memory, uh, after recounting it at the ruins of the Empire State Building, the proposal Jack makes to Julia in oblivion, Tom Cruise and Olga Kurilenko. Is he proposing to her there, or are they already married and just like hanging out? I know King Kong proposed to Jessica Langler. No, he proposed to one of the biplanes. Uh, <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Giovanangeli. <laughs> Twas marriage killed the beast. <laughs> Number three, Meet the Parents actually has two proposals. The first, an aborted attempt involving the bride-to-be's young students, and a second successful one where the ring is carried by an impossibly well-trained cat. The sight of Jinx with Ring is a great cap to this comedy. I remember liking the first one and then not believing that the other ones existed. That's why Arthur picked it and not Meet the Fockers. Uh, Number two, uh, Moonstruck. Uh, John Patrick Shanley. Uh, Another double proposal movie. The first is a sloppy yet successful affair involving a pinky ring. The second one is the more interesting one because it involves Nicolas Cage borrowing the aforementioned pinky ring to propose to Cher, the woman to whom his brother, Danny Aiello, recently broke off his engagement. A funny scene which, as a nice bonus, might also result in calamitous future relations between the two brothers. Girls are great friends. We've got two Nicolas Cage proposals. Boom. Oh, that's right. Nicolas Cage pulling ahead. La Bella Luna. Oh, you know what, Dingus? Now we have another Tom Cruise one. Uh, so I guess Arthur, Arthur's with Paul here. Uh, in Oblivion, Tom Cruise makes great use of a tower. Oh, that's right. The- Tom Cruise makes great use of a tower viewer. The surprise associated uh, with yeah. this reveal was only equaled by my surprise that I really liked Oblivion. High five, Arthur Giovanni. Uh, too bad the mixed response, this is Arthur writing this, will likely doom any chance we had to see a sequel. There didn't need to be more of them. It was all wrapped up. You know what? Yeah, you're right. Arthur, and plus, need I remind you, Arthur, the ending of that movie. Oh, yeah. well, I guess we could. Nah, well. It doesn't look like it's set up for a sequel, which <laughs> was something I liked about it. Yeah. I did, I did. Everything is set up for fucking 80 movies and yeah. fucking Prometheus. There I said it. All right. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando DePratna, who, once again, I'm looking at his little Google Mail thing, and he looks like a slightly more svelte A.J. Bowen. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando DePratna writes, My My third is Paint Your Wagon, where Elizabeth, Ah. in love with both her mining husband and his partner, states, quote, If a Mormon man can have two wives, why can't a woman have two husbands? End quote. Forty-nine of them. Because 49ers. Isn't Paint Your Wagon that musical? Yeah, Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin sing. It's... No. Good. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the craziest thing. I really like it. Wow, all right. So you know how we had a tie between Tom Cruise proposals and Nick Cage proposals. The Tom Cruise proposals are now in the lead, and furthermore, the movie Oblivion is now in the lead because Jonathan J. Lando DePratner writes, my second is kind of a spoiler, so I'm not sure you will read it. Oops. <laughs> in Oblivion, Tom Cruise takes Olga Kirilenko, Observation Deck, Empire State Building, Ring, Viewfinder. So sweet. So there you go. I left some of the words out because it makes it less of a spoiler. Uh, the listeners care more about spoilers than we do. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando DePratna's number one pick. My favorite proposal is near the end of Forrest Gump. <laughs> where Forrest, recalling the promise they made as children, asks, oh, no, what Jenny's, asks for Jenny's hand in marriage. Ugh. She says no, but gives him a pity F. And since Gump is the luckiest man in the universe, he does not get the HIV Ginny is riddled with and makes a little Haley Joel Osmond. 
spoiler alert, she eventually says yes moments before dying of AIDS, and then Huey <sighs> Joel Osmond goes on to make the sixth sense. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't understand the Haley Joel Osment parts. Did he not play a, the baby in that movie? Yeah, he's the kid. Yeah, Forrest yeah. Gump's kid. Yeah, and he and he shows up at her apartment, and and it's kind of a beautiful little scene where Forrest is like, "Is he?" You know, he's asking, "Is he messed up like me?" And she's like, "No, he's super smart. Don't worry about it." Jeez, totally don't remember that. Kelly, Wan, do you remember this? It's uh, beautiful. I mean, he's just cute, cute little Haley Joel Osment again. <sighs> What's he doing these days? Why? why uh, he's actually day? very. I, I just heard about a podcast. He's he's in something. He's in that um, Babylon. Not Babylon. What's the? There's some sh- show. There's some sh- the novel that's been made into a movie. It's Days of Babylon or something like that. Uh, and he's probably good in it. And he also has a huge, a really good sense of humor about himself. And he's he's seems. By all accounts, to be a well-adjusted kid. Jake Lloyd shattered for life. So we'll look for him in Project Babylon or whatever that it's, is. What is the what's the name? Do you guys don't, don't know what I'm talking about? Darn it. Uh, I don't know stuff. So the new Haley Joel Osment movie. It's not right. a movie. It's it's oh, like one of these Showtime. Oh, you're talking uh, about TV. So he's become a TV actor. Great. Uh oh. But it's not TV. It's not TV. It's cable it's not, TV. Showtime's really good. It's got it's got Dexter, got Weeds, Orange is the New Black. I can't get into that. It's got Nurse Jackie. Ah, <laughs> I've never seen any of these. Me neither. Uh, Fred and Lynn have one submission in honor of the late Mister Ramis. The scene where Danny tries to man up and take responsibility for Maggie being <laughs> late for not being pregnant. End quote. Uh, in Caddyshack. <laughs> And since it's a sports movie, Lynn wanted to know whether you had seen the film or not, and if so, if I knew what was happening. I assume, I don't know if that's you as in aimed at all of us, although Dingus does know sports, he's into college hoops, uh, or if that was specifically for me or Kelly, but uh, I actually like golf. What? Yep. That's a, that wasn't the question, eh? But, well, I do uh, understand golf sports stuff, and that's for you see okay. golf, golf video games. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Well, golf video games are better than golf, because you don't have to fucking yeah. do all that walking around and shit. Yeah, I know. So, you you want to play for course. courses. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. You're a smart man. But uh, did you see Caddyshack? Because it's a really <laughs> iconic scene when she goes, Tanks for nothing, the Irish girl. <laughs> that's your Irish accent? Harold Ramis said he doesn't like that movie and he couldn't watch it. He could bear to watch it because he said it was all compromises. Oh, that's sad. I know. Mm. See, when you make something, you can't enjoy it. It's like cooking for yourself. I wouldn't think Caddyshack would be... Why is he having to compromise in Caddyshack? Well, because it was really early on. He's probably... It's like hooking for yourself. Oh, cooking. Cooking. No, hooking for yourself is awesome. What's wrong with cooking for yourself? Well, it doesn't taste as good because you're tired. And then you got to do the. That's just too much. It's too annoying. <laughs> it's really foods. not, but I liked hooking for yourself. Uh, I think the smell of the food makes me crazy. It's really? just too much of a tease, and it takes forever. If we just go and sit down somewhere, I've, look, I've crunched the numbers, all right? Eating's <laughs> better when you eat out. It's not, but okay. It's worth the extra $30. Uh, Nick D has given us three. Rejected marriage proposals. Ah, 
Number three, Working Girl. Alec Baldwin is great in an early sleazy role. He proposes to Melanie Griffith, and she humiliates him by saying, maybe. You want another answer? Ask another girl. <laughs> That's I think, great. I don't think Melanie Griffith's performance holds up, but I mainly like the scene for how Alec Baldwin handles the rejection. Uh, number two, High Fidelity. The emotional climax of this movie is the moment where Rob proposes to Laura and she rejects him. As rejections go, it's a surprisingly warm scene because it's not really about the proposal. It's about Rob's growth into someone capable of wanting to propose. Jesus. It also just so happens that he has the insane good fortune to have found a woman willing to put up with him as he makes the transition. That's well, that's what it's choice. about. That's a really great choice. Yeah. Uh, and Nick D's number one pick, remember, this one's better than Working Girl and High Fidelity. Little Women. That. Not how you say that. I, I know. High Fidelity. Says so what? <laughs> High Fidelity? Science fiction. Come on. We've done this before. That's not even an Arkansas thing. That's the thing. You're going out of your way. It's always weird to me when people. What are you guys talking? Fidelity? It's high fidelity. Stop it. Come high on. High fidelity. Fidelity. I'm just saying the same thing. Fidelity. You're uh, like an high. Oh, okay. What do you call a hi fi stereo system, right? It's hi fi. What do you call wireless? Wi fi. See? But sci fiction. Fiction and fidelity are different things, Kelly. Fidelity. Moore. All right. Keep saying fidelity. Go sit in a tough neighborhood, see what happens. <laughs> Nick D's number one pick. In a tough neighborhood. So I'm going, high fidelity. High fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets on a bike. <laughs> and a horn. Uh, Nick D's number one pick is Little Women. <laughs> he says, I watched this again recently, and it's nice to be reminded of what a great actor Christian Bale can be. Even in a film from 20 years ago, the scene where he proposes to Winona Ryder and gets rejected by her is, I hate to admit it, one of the highlights of his career. He's so wonderfully vulnerable and ultimately crushed. Wait, Christian Bale was a good actor. He's always been a good actor, isn't he? Yeah, he was in Henry V. Henry V was one of his first... I thought Christian Slater was in Henry V. You're thinking of Helen Slater. Fives. <laughs> uh, he's a. Does he have lines, Dinkus? In Henry V, Christian yeah. Bale. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's his like Empire of the Sun stage, though, isn't it? Ah, uh, Empire of the Sun was before that, probably. Yeah. yeah, but he's like one of the boys who has to be in the ba- in the van or whatever they call it in the back. In the band. In the van. Oh, the- that, <laughs> that's what they called it. The baggage, right? Yeah, Captain America. But- but the but the way Henry Five uh, parses things, it, cor- it sort of uh, intersperses other plays, and so there's that scene wh- with uh, with Prince Hal and Falstaff, and he's the he's kind of in that scene as well, and then he's yeah, but he's great, yeah. So and, and I've never seen Little Women. Now I'm really curious. Thanks. Who else? Me and my sisters. She says something like that. Who else is in that, Kelly? Why is it a Winona Ryder? Who? Yeah, it's a Winona Ryder vehicle. Oh. She's Joe and Blair and Tootie and Natalie and Mrs. Garrett. I don't know what you're saying. Oh, it's facts of life. When the boys used to hate, you date. That's what Little Women's about. <laughs> you take right? the good, you take the bad. Kelly, are you ready for something that might even creep you out? Mm, I take that challenge. I don't quite know what to make of this. This is from Dave Perkins. I can't tell if it's a quote or a movie pick, I'm already but creeped. he obviously took some time writing it, so I'll just read it. I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is just email that we got, and I'm reading it to the listeners, and uh, we'll see what happens. 
I love that you ask us to think of beautiful moments in movies. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to get to the synopsis. I love that after I listen to the podcast, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last people I want to listen to before I go to sleep at night. I'm saying this tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life listening to three men you've never met, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. When Dave met the podcast. Oh, my God. Is that when Harry met Sal? Now I'm doubly sorry I read that. Oh, my God. Did I just read a paraphrase of a when Harry met Sally quote? (sighs) Now do a quote from Parental Guidance and say how great it is. Uh, Is that the one where he gets whacked in the nuts with a a wiffle ball bat? Yeah, I bet Midler's there. It's a Marissa Tomei movie, though. I'll see that. I know. Uh, okay. Well, that's sweet of him to say. I've I've never been swept off my feet like that before. It was ador- adorable. Uh, Aaron Vaughn writes, firstly, how dare you dis... Oh, first of all, he takes us to task for being dismissive of Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. <laughs> I haven't seen it, actually, so I didn't mean to be dismissive. You don't, you don't need to. Uh, and then he <laughs> writes, this topic was tricky for me. Obviously, because the first his first pick is not a marriage proposal, as we're about to find out. Uh, he writes, this first topic was tricky for me, and the only thing that came to mind was the proposal in Moonrise Kingdom, except there was no proposal. Sam and Susie have a moment on the beach where they declare their love for each other, but we only see them later when they've decided to marry and are asking Jason Schwartzman for his services. However, this reminded me of the marriage proposal in... Royal Tenenbaums, where Gene Hackman interjects a business conversation he's having with Angelica Houston, asking, will you marry me? I like this a lot, and it's my only choice. In Wes Anderson's style, a beautiful moment is made into a melancholy whimper. Uh, Then he writes, not enough to be a second choice, but the whole movie of The Proposal is my runner-up, followed closely Ah. by all of Avatar. Oh, God. <laughs> I agree, Kelly Wand. There's no marriage proposal in that. I think he was trolling us. Divorced. Oh. The only problem is it's Danny Glover, not Gene Hackman. Why did I very get married? Dingus. That's why that scene didn't. Yep, very good. Thank you. Uh, that's all I have to say about it. That's a, And that's a great one. I wish I would have thought of it, but it's... It, it is just so, like, all, all of a sudden he just goes, yeah, it's great. Now I'm, I'm recalling him falling. It's just yeah, probably him falling down the hole that the archaeology dig. <laughs> she just realizes he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me wishes I'd been listening. Not really, though. In the dig, he thinks he's gone. Is that what you guys laughing at? <laughs> There's a scene where Angelica Houston and Danny and uh, and Danny Glover are just walking along and talking, and it's in an archaeology dig where she's working. And Tannen Moms? Yeah, he's walking along beside her, and he falls into a pit. And she keeps talking to him. She doesn't know that he's falling. And then he gets up. <laughs> he's got all that stuff. He's like... A... <laughs> Uh, this is so racist. Wait, so, okay. But that's a marriage proposal when he falls in a pit? Are you guys saying? It's a different scene. This is a, you're thinking of 300. <laughs> but. All right, uh, runners up from you guys. 
That was the last one? <sighs> yes. Had you in tears? The last marriage proposal. No, it's a separate scene where they're at the archaeology dig and he falls in the background. <laughs> He's getting told for that shit. He just disappeared. Literally. <laughs> what if he'd never come back and that was the end of the And she doesn't notice. Uh, is it a marriage proposal in Dark Knight? The, the, uh, like the whole Bruce Wayne, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal triangle? Is no, it- but Heath Ledger... And Batman mar- get married. That's <laughs> not a mar- once again Kelly Wand. It's as good a pick as the VHS way. VHS, yeah, exactly. And Spider-Man three. So I have to make a confession. Oh. Uh, when I couldn't think of anything, when I realized, Dead Gum, and I, I burned my number one. I can't think of anything. I discovered. I actually, knew this was here, uh, and I never really used it. I discovered the keywords on IMDb. <laughs> I clicked on marriage proposal, what? and uh, just what? that to refresh my memory. You can look at keywords for almost anything. Like, uh, you know, uh, cut off fingers, uh, phone calls, father-son relationships. Kelly Wand. (laughs) Submarines exploding. You know, anything has a keyword. Uh, So there were some things that, uh, like Grindhouse, you know, the the Robert Rodriguez thing. I I love that movie. I couldn't remember a marriage proposal in that. Uh, It's it's obviously got to be Rose Dowling and Freddie, what's his name? Prince? No. Rodriguez. Yeah. It's got to be between them, but I didn't remember the marriage proposal scene. But it was listed. That was one of the keywords for Grindhouse. Um, when he puts the thing on her leg, that's like a ring. Mm, the thing by thing, do you mean machine gun. gun? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude was on there as well. Uh, Which one? I didn't remember the they didn't get married. marriage proposal. Uh, These are worse than mine. The only uh, runner-up I had, and this is one of the ones I thought when you first mentioned it, uh, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen this whole movie, but I just remembered as a kid, uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. Um, I just I remember uh, my parents watching this movie and me sort of seeing part of it. And uh, I just remember the, the, the two kids coming into the parents' room when they're asleep and him asking if he can marry the daughter and the father going just don't ever hit her or something like that and then of course later um they have this this weird dysfunctional sexual relationship you know where uh, i just remember these little weird elements and he eventually ends up abusing her but i remember coal miner's daughter and i remember that that proposal in the middle of the night where he goes where they go into the bedroom of the parents and ask to marry him and I've never seen all of Coal. Do you guys remember Coal Miner's Daughter? Sissy Spacek is all I could tell you. Is that it's Loretta her? Lynn, it. Oh, it's about Loretta Lynn. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's another like Walk the Line. Like, yeah, would... and it's it's Tommy Lee Jones, who's directed by Michael Apted, but I cannot remember yeah. a thing about it other than that that proposal scene, and then her her complaining about having to have sex with him, where he gets on her and sweats like a pig, and then he smacks. Ew. Her. And uh, and it takes me back. Yeah, and that's like, oh, well, you, the one thing my dad asked you not to do was hit me. Um, but I just remember that being a, this weird sort of proposal moment. Uh, there's got to be a great, although I remember the, liking it. the point of the movie is more than not proposing, but there's got to be a great marriage proposal in Down With Love, right, Dingus? Oh, I don't remember. Jeez. There's got to be one because of how it ends up, but... Uh... 
There's a really good one in Urban Cowboy, but I can't remember. Remember that movie? With Scott Glenn and John Travolta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott yeah. Glenn is your – that's your go-to. That's the first well, actor you name from Urban Cowboy. He, <laughs> Scott Glenn. He, well, he's he, in he, it. He beats the hell out of John Travolta. Matt Deborah Winger, yeah. John Travolta, Scott Glenn. All right. They're all good. It's like saying Harrison Ford first for Star Wars. He's the – John Travolta's the Luke. <laughs> and the bull is Millennium Falcon. Hello. Good point. You got me there. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Midnight Cowboy with Deborah Winger. Okay. Well, Dingus, what is – oh, no, that's not nice. Oh, yeah, African Queen was my other one. What? There's no marriage proposal in there. Yeah, at the very end, and then – Oh, that sucks. They get married at the end? She's a nun. He can't marry her. No, Wait, that's not. is she a nun? No. Catherine Hepburn is a nun. Humphrey Bogart is a ship captain, and they they float a ship down the the Nile or something, right? Nazis capture him, but then when they get married, he goes, "Hey, let's get married since we're going to get shot anyway." She's not a nun. Uh, I think you're thinking of Agnes of God because she's in that and Golden Pond. Mm, okay. But getting back to more important things, uh, so they get married, and then suddenly the Deus Ex Machina shows up. The cavalry, or like the Americans, and they shoot all the Nazis. So marriage, if you do it, it'll save you. It's Stun's cavalry. I think one of the things I remember from that movie, Kelly Wand, is doesn't he use this the boiler? Like there's a steam boiler that drives the ship, and he pulls hot water from it to make tea. <laughs> I remember seeing that it? as a kid and thinking, wow, that's cool. I want to drink yeah. tea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beat your own boss. Live on the Amazon of Africa. Wait a minute. It's called the African Queen, but they're on the Amazon? I might be wrong about most things. Okay. But I, that that's a good movie, if I remember right, because he's, he's all trolled out and shit. And they're like, don't they deal with, like, wasps or something? Or you mean, like, bees? Yeah. <laughs> bees? White Anglo-Saxon process. <laughs> that like sounds pretty swarm. cool. But, what are they? What are they doing? Like, where are they? Are they just trying to get somewhere? Yeah, they got to get down river to kill Kurtz or something. No, that you don't know. I don't know. Well, look, it's World War Two. You just go. You got to kill the guns in Avarone. Blah blah blah. So Nazis. Yeah, okay. it doesn't matter what they're up to. All right, they're just going to show up and keep you from getting married. But then they What's won't. that movie where Peter O'Toole like flies up? Like he's got a, a seaplane and he's fighting Nazis and he's just this, this scruffy seaplane pilot. Sardoz? No, it's called something like Hearts War. Except not that. That's a Bruce Willis thing. My like, favorite year. No, it's like Tom's War. <laughs> Starring Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Do you guys not know this movie? I know the title. Um, the no, it's not Hearts. It's um. And it's just like he's a scruffy seaplane yeah, captain yeah. who has to fight Nazis, and he like blows up a Nazi submarine. Or With something. a plane? It's yeah. Murphy or something. Murphy's War, maybe. Murphy's Come on. War. Doesn't that no. sound like a cool movie? It, yeah, sure. Yeah, seaplane versus submarine is a pretty weird matchup. Well, it's something like the submarine gets like stranded in a cove or something, and the Nazis are like, you don't tell anyone Why would you even know here. about that? That's a total grandpa movie. Why would you know that? Is it? I don't know, because maybe it's I tricked that. him with African Queen, I think. <laughs> I do know a few grandpa movies, but I think Murphy's War sounds right. Uh, and I, I think I've probably seen it a couple times as a kid. I'm bummed that Humphrey Bogart never fought dinosaurs. I just wouldn't want to see that once. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> We think that'd, be, that'd be another good matchup. I don't know. What's Humphrey Bogart going to do against a dinosaur? Cat? That's what I'm saying. It's something I can't... It's hard for me to picture it. He's going to give him a bunch of bourbon. Like he talks super fast to him. 
and it just puts him to sleep or something. Right. Yeah. Do your impression of Humphrey Bogart again, Kelly Wand? <laughs> yeah. Edward G. Oh, no. like Edward G. <laughs> Bogart. Yeah. I gotta go to the fire or whatever. That's how they talk back then. Yeah, just live flat. I gotta get on that plane. If the first thing I do. Dingus, what is next week's 3x3 for us? All right, next week's 3x3 is inspired by uh, watching parts of Henry V again. And um, one of the things I loved about the Henry V movie is all of the Derek Jacobi parts. I don't know if you guys remember watching Henry V, but there's this great chorus thing that happens in it um, where, uh, you know, Shakespeare is basically saying to us that this is a play. I've got a chorus. I'm letting you know that I'm just giving you a historical drama here and I'm going to frame it for you. And so and the way that Kenneth Branagh does it is that he dresses Derek Jacobi in this like long black coat and he looks very modern and uh, he opens up oh for a muse of fire and like it like lights this match and he he does that opening monologue and then he throws this switch and then the stage lights come on and Derek Jacobi gives you this look and then he lets you know we're on a we're on a film set and then throughout the movie Derek Jacobi will run into the run into it and do the chorus lines, but he's still dressed in his modern dress. And then at the end, he closes it by, uh, you know, closing the play. He literally closes the movie set so that we're done. We're done with this now. So, so, uh, this is your three favorite framing devices in movies. Oh, okay. Why don't you just say so? Uh, because I wanted to burn my favorite one because we usually do that. And this, uh, having, having used Henry V this nope. week, I felt I shouldn't use it next Wait, Dingus, that's not what I meant to say. I meant, why didn't you say that in the first place? <laughs> I was trying to do a line from 300 and I failed. Oh, that's a good point. What? Wait, but he was doing a framing device. Is that what you're saying? No, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't let another podcast go without me saying something about how awesome 300 Rise of an Empire was. That's a good so. point. That was uh, Captain America before America. Well, maybe you guys should see Grand Budapest Hotel. <sighs> I don't trust you. I don't trust when you say things are bad or good anymore. I never said it was bad. I just said I didn't feel we really needed to do a whole podcast on it. Yeah, but you also but, said it, don't you don't need to see it. Well, I'm just saying no, you need he didn't to see say it. that. He knows we're going to see it. He just yeah. doesn't feel like we need to do a podcast on it. And but I will say maybe you need to see it before next week's three by three. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, not necessarily. Uh, all right, so uh, best framing devices, uh, such as Derek Jacobi as the chorus in the Henry V movie. I always ignore when you say, hey, better see it by next week, because then you never spoil it anyway. You always, like, creep around the edge, like, yeah, I can't really tell you what's good. But okay. But the thing is, if we had all three seen it, then I'd be like, ah, screw it. We're all going to talk about it spoiler spoilery-wise, so... Instead. If you guys don't see it, then I'll try to dance around it. What are we seeing next week? I, uh, I forget. Not Draft Day, not Rio 2, not Oculus. What? Oculus. Oh, we are doing Oculus? I forgot. That was so hey, hard to you, discuss this. We're all going to do a different movie. <laughs> no, we're not going to do We're that. not doing that. So wait, uh, I want to see either Joe, the new David Gordon Green movie, with Nicolas Cage, or uh, uh, no one, oh, dead gummit, no one left alive but lovers, lovers left alive, dead gummit, I can't think of the name of it, the Jim Jarmusch movie with Tom Hiddleston, Tilda Swinton, and Mia Wasikowska, uh, I'd like to see that, or I guess I'd like to see Oculus, because the director did a movie called Absentia, Abstentia. Ah. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah. No, but it, oh. it's a scary concept, abstaining. I'm looking forward to 
No, uh, it's not abstaining. It's absentia. It's absence, not absentia. And Oculus will tap into our fears of Oculi. Eyes. Uh, anyway, the director did a movie called Absentia, which I didn't really like, but had some uh, laudable things, I guess. There were some cool things in it. Um, so we're seeing Oculus, really? Yay! Is that what we decided? It's been too long since a horror movie. It's that time. I just saw one the other day. What? Which one? Uh, what did I watch? I watched. Oh, I watched The Host yesterday. It's not really a horror movie. The Korean um, one? No, no, the Stephanie Meyer thing about Saoirse Ronan has an alien living inside. That's not a horror movie, is it? It's science fiction. Sounds kind of horrible. What if an alien was living inside you, Kelly Wand, and not letting you control what you did? Mm, I'd call it Thursday. (laughs) It's such a stupid, like, it's such a young adult thing uh, for, it's a device for this young adult thing where... Like a teenager doing one thing and yet knowing that she should do something else. Like, like the movie is literally Saoirse Ronan just going around doing stuff, and there's voiceover of Saoirse Ronan talking to herself from inside of her head. Um, it's a it's a device basically for her. Now I'm talking conscious, conscious. So it's like that Christina Ricci movie. What movie is that? Pedro, the opposite of sex. Uh, I don't remember. Or t- that had a lot of voiceover. I do remember her voiceover in that. Um, yeah, and she's all, oh, he paid his cable bill? Ugh. Oh, right, right, exactly. He, he was supposed to be sad and grieving, and he still went about paying his cable bill. Yeah, she didn't understand that. Uh, name the director of that Kel- of that Kelly Wand. Um, Don Swimmer? Nope, Don Roos. Ah, uh, you got me. I always like it, like R-O-O-S, like like baby kangas. Don yeah. Roos. I love that. Is he, is he a kangaroo? I don't know. Who knows? He could be multiple baby kangaroos. Well, Don can be a title. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's another. There's a new Jude Law movie called Don Hemingway, with Jude Law and uh, Richard E. Grant. Why don't we see that? When's it come out? Three years. Is that now. Oh no, then. Okay. What? So we're Is it playing somewhere near me. Who knows, Kelly Wand? I guess we'll see Oculus. Oculus. Dingus, is that what we decided, or am I being bamboozled by Kelly Wand? No, I think we grudgingly decided between that and draft day that we would go with Oculus. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, in that case, let's definitely go with Oculus. She's tried enough Costner. I guess we'd, we'd all rather go see Joe uh, but or Only Lovers Left Alive or whatever that other thing was. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be available other than in New York. So draft day or Oculus. Because I don't believe that at all. I, I'm pretty sure those will come out in L.A. Both of those are not going to just come out in in New York. Uh, I I don't think they. Ju- I think that more and more you're seeing like a rolling sort of. Which, which screws us. Yeah, but I'm not going to. I I refuse. If movies are just going to start opening only in New York, then screw it. I'm moving to New York. I'm not going to no, allow those. No, movies. things open here and then they roll over to New <laughs> York and and then Minneapolis. I mean, I think that, I'll show them. I'll pull up stakes and change my whole life. But I'm pretty pretty sure, like, when a release date is listed, and those both have release dates, we get them here in in L.A., or we better, or I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. Oh, shit. Here it comes. To the movie studios, all of them, about this release date shenanigans. Bro, you don't want to burn those bridges. I will burn those bridges, Kelly Oh, no. I will burn those bridges the way that Peter O'Toole did what he did to the Nazi submarine in Murphy's War. I will do that, Kelly that's right. I think it was a sea fight. I think what happens, if I remember correctly, he like 
takes an old torpedo and he straps it to the seaplane and he flies it. He does like a Colin Firth to Kristen Scott Thomas uh, where he <laughs> flies it into the submarine, I think. I could Listen, uh, I only have a couple seconds, so will you marry me? You know what? There may not even be a seaplane. It might be like a boat, like a, a African Queen boat thing. Uh, if you're listening and you know this movie, write in. Let us know what the heck I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, or if you're listening. Title. To what? Tell us the title. Is it Murphy's War? Is it? It's got to be Murphy's War. I think that that sounds so right because Murphy is like a, it's like a Peter O'Toole character. Like you, you have a character named Murphy in your script. Peter O'Toole should play it. I think. Or Peter Weller. Nope. Oh, good point. Yeah, you're right, Kelly. Do you got me? Or Charles Bronson. Charles Did Bronson played a Murphy. Yeah, in Murphy's Law, he shoots people because his name's Murphy. <laughs> is that really a movie? Yeah, it is. Oh my god. It's the same concept as Death Wish, but his name is now. Point. Yeah. Are those Death Wish movies awful? They're just trashy uh, and uncomfortable. I'm a Charles Bronson apologist. I think he's good in a lot of movies. But I think I've only seen the first Death Wish with Jeff Goldblum with, as one of the hoods. Right, yeah, I remember that. And then I didn't think that I really wanted to see more of them. Kind of makes the point. Yeah, you, once you've seen one Death Wish, you've seen all you need to see. Uh, you know, something. Huh. Uh, what about, uh, what's that Kevin Bacon Death Wish? The one directed by James Wan? Uh, where, uh. Oh, uh, Stir of Echoes? No, that's not a Death Wish. Oh. oh, sorry. That's like a ghost thing. Like there's a ghost in my Oh, that show. No, no, oh, it's a Kevin Bacon Death Wish where, uh, he takes on some punks. Oh, he's the new Charles Bronson? Yeah. He takes on punks, and there's a really cool fight scene in a parking garage. Yeah, you said that there's a good, uh, like, driving thing in the Yeah, park. there's an awesome car scene. What's that called? It's, and it's a – come on, Kelly, help me. It's like Death Wish, but, but Kevin Bacon taking on punks. Oh, uh, Need for Wish. Need for <laughs> okay, Wish. Okay, let me try this one. What Shoot. about a Michael Caine Death Wish with Michael Caine <laughs> taking on punks? And then at the end you find out that they're actually dead. Michael Caine. Harry Brown. Very good. Dingus wins. Oh, fuck. I didn't say I was playing. Well, you lost, so... point. I did lose. Anyway, if you are listening and you have some ideas for framing devices in movies that you like, you know what? Pick your favorite. Pick your two favorite, or maybe pick three of your favorite framing devices. Let us know what they are. We would love to read about them on the air. Um, let us know what you liked about them. Uh, send it to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at sign, and then you spell out quarter to 3com uh, We'll read it on the air. Also, see with us um, Oculus. Metaphorically. Uh, we're not seeing Don Hemingway, huh? All right. Uh, see with us Oculus next week. Yeah, metaphorically. In spirit, see it with us. And then join us for the podcast <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, and maybe see Absentia. It's the director's uh, previous uh, horror movie. I think it is on uh, Netflix. I think that's where I saw it. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. You're going to get Nazis dinosaurs on that plane, see? And you're going to like it. Ah. <laughs> Uh, I don't understand. Did you see the jazz scene? Did we see the what? Jazz Oh, a movie called The Jazz Singer. Yeah, it's, this is a jazz song. In the eye of the storm.
It's about him and his dad. Uh, well, Captain America happened, huh, Dingus? I'm sorry. Did I step on your moment? 